Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are sitting down to talk about how Tom Cruise is going to overcome the impossible odds. He will defeat AI and the evil maniacal interest driving said threat. No, we are not talking about the SAG-AFRA negotiation table. We are talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, or the correct title, Mission colon Impossible hyphen Dead Reckoning, comma, No, part I think one? it's just part one. Just part one? Yeah. Isn't, is, it a, is it a hyphen or an M dash? I can never I, be sure. I'm not sure. It's kind Either of way, squishy. it's a terrible title for a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big show for you today because this is our first show since uh, we wrapped up Dead Center about a month and a half ago. And uh, instead of doing a more typical icebreaker question related to the movie, we're just going to very quickly talk about some of the films that we did not review on this podcast. But we want to acknowledge because there was a lot of stuff. Some good, some bad, some ugly, some Transformers. Before we get into our spoiler-free review and verdict of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, we're going to talk about several movies, around 10 or so, very quickly. And then we're going to conclude the conversation with an in-depth spoiler discussion of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Joining me today, they are also disavowed from the Hollywood system of podcasts, LaRon Chapman, Cinematic Schematic co-host and award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker. Do you choose to accept this mission? I do. I do accept it, accept it. And also just because it's hot and I'm beating the heat and you have AC, AC in your house. So this is yes. nice. hot Wait, July, hot July. No AC in your house. Not currently. <gasps> oh, bless you. It's going to be fixed in the next couple hours. I was like, perfect. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> An excuse to the house that now that is an impossible mission. Yes. To overcome the, <laughs> the Oklahoma heat. Also joining us to disavow ourselves from whatever system it is we're disavowing ourselves from. She's returning to us, uh, actually not so long ago, from our Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse uh, review, Chelsea Raderman. Chelsea, do you choose to accept this mission? I do. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. All right. So we've got a, we've got enough for a team, but we've got, we've got to complete the picture. I can't decide if this is a John Lark situation or if, if this is like a Benji situation, but I'm so thrilled to be rejoined uh, by Good Trash Honorcast co-host and Good Trash Media founder, uh, co-founder Dalton Stewart. Happy to be here, Caleb, and all of my takes will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs> all right, there we go. I know he's he's definitely an imposter John Lark character because he did not let me ask him if he chose to accept the mission. So John there. Lark did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the greater the suffering, the greater the peace. That's it. Thank you. Know, you. If I was casting this, though, I feel like I'd be Luther. I feel like <laughs> you're definitely this, the 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 White Widow. Uh, yes. You have the, um, yeah. You know, yeah. Mm, Arms dealer. My favorite. I feel that. It's okay. Oh, y'all are between Simon. I feel like y'all. We both this. have a lot. Y'all of are very energy. Simon. Very yeah. Simon Pegg. You know, so, um, but yeah, we don't have an Ethan amongst us. I don't think you know. Couldn't be me. I'm not going to run that. I'm much. not doing that. I yeah. do. I, do, I can't <laughs> jog. I do run. I stair climb. 
Okay. He's like, well, you know what? If you run, then you're going to take You are famously a runner. That's how you do your fitness. <laughs> I do. Yeah. It is just like the majority of my fitness. I am straight training right now, though. So he's trying to mix it up. When I see people sprinting or jogging in the morning at four in the morning, I mean, obviously I commend them, but I also look at them and think those are psychopaths. Yeah. I don't know. I can't. Really. I'm not a morning person, so I do run, but it's usually like at lunch or in the evening. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nuts. Those people are crazy. I'm glad you're getting some strength training in, though. You got to be able to do that if you're going to go hand to hand with Palm Clementif in an alley. Exactly. <laughs> or, or, you know, fight God, the AI. Uh, you know, <laughs> you got to be ripped for that. So um, not to say I'm Ethan hunting and I have not driven the motorcycle off the cliff yet. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's conversation about all the movies, please do us a favor and leave us a rating and a review. Supporting us with that rating, especially a five-star rating, uh, will help us get discovered by more listeners just like you. So before we even get to the icebreaker, though, a lot of programming announcements, very important programming announcements. Alert, alert. I know we took half of July off, but we have a lot of conversations coming your way next up is probably the biggest cinematic event at least of the 2020s for sure this is the first time movies are going to be like a big part of like popular discourse again yes this decade yeah like they are gonna movies will finally be taking all of the oxygen out of the cultural conversation yes and the stars won't be there to promote it and it's, i couldn't be happier <laughs> it's gonna be bizarre yeah ladies and gentlemen we are talking about the fight of the century Barbie versus Oppenheimer, also known as Barbenheimer. Lauren and I both have our shirts already. Lauren has a Barbie shirt. We are ready to go. So by the time you're listening to this episode, actually, we are probably on the eve of Barbenheimer. Or if you're listening even a day late, both films are actually out and available for you to watch. So you might be asking yourself, well, how are you guys going to cover it? Usually you're posting like one episode every couple of weeks, but no, we're dedicated to the craft here. And Laurent and I were like, well, we could just do a doubleheader episode like we've done in the past when we have more than one movie we want to talk about in a week. But then these movies both deserve a full-blown, in-depth, really meaty conversation. I, I can't imagine us talking about Oppenheimer or Barbie for less than like an hour and a half yeah. <laughs> each. So first, we are going to be reviewing Oppenheimer in next week's episode. That's right. You're going to have to wait two weeks next week. So that'll be publishing tentatively on Wednesday, July 26th. We will then review Barbie the very next week with the episode publishing on August 2nd. And yes, we're going to determine a winner based on these very loose parameters. We are going to decide who wins using a five-point system for each of the following categories. And these categories will each be weighed at 25% weight. So 25% uh, or a quarter of uh, the points will be allotted to the average letter grade the movie gets from our host participating in the review discussion. So essentially, we all give letter grades. A is a five, B is a four, C is a three, D is a two, and anything below a D is a one. Right. Um, we're going to average that out for each movie. 25% will be based on the Rotten Tomatoes scores. 80% to 100% is a five, five point, uh, 60 to 79 would be the four point and so on and so forth. 25% uh, will be based on the box office winner after the first two weekends. Why two weekends? Because some, as we've seen, sometimes movies leg out. Uh, Tom Cruise, we're talking about Tom Cruise today. He is notorious, his films are notorious for legging out where they might have a solid, okay opening weekend, but then the next weekend they show up and it's like, wow, almost as many people showed up. So I want to see two weekends for these to see, to get a sense of how this is going to leg out. And then the last 25%, and this is, listeners, very important. This is where you come in. 25% will be based on the Cinematropolis audience polls. So I'm going to be publishing polls which film is better barbie or oppenheimer these polls will be presented on facebook and twitter and maybe threads because we're on threads another announcement coming in one second <laughs> but the other will be the spotify app so if you listen on spotify you can actually go into the app and vote in the app at the end of our oppenheimer and barbie episodes 
Okay. The polls will run until, uh, on social media, will run until July 31st. So you'll announce the winner on the episode after those two, I assume. Correct. Right? Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. So, so Laron and I are going to be announcing the winner in our review of TMNT. So yes, that episode will be publishing in the second week of August. So yes, uh, we have a lot on our plate there. So which film are you going to see first? You can let us know by heading over to any of our social media. So now I mentioned the Facebook Twitter, threads, Instagram. There you go. Uh, or you can send us uh, an email at the cinematropolis at gmail.com to let us know which film you're most excited for. Okay. Another announcement. We're on threads. Is threads going to be around in a year? Who knows? <laughs> Who the heck knows? But right now it's where the party's happening and the, the awfulness and misinformation and dark money hasn't made its way there. So uh, we're all hanging out on threads now. Next up. I know we spent most of the month of June talking about Dead Center, Oklahoma's biggest film festival, but turns out there's a lot of other film festivals here. So I have a couple of special interviews in uh, store for you uh, for films playing at Doc OKC. Uh, this is ahead of its second year as a festival. I hadn't heard about it until this year. That festival is August 4th through the 6th. And uh, again, we'll be publishing those interviews earlier that week beforehand. Last one, really big one here. And we're actually going to have some discussion. No way I would say, well, this is movie news, and it is. But, and movie news is usually for movie people. In this case, I feel like it's a bigger story than that. And I feel like most people who uh, watch the news in general have probably heard. But SAG-AFRA joined the WGA and going on strike. This last week on Thursday, uh, this previous Thursday, SAG-AFRA voted to go on strike following failed negotiations with the AMPTP. So according to Deadline, uh, the SAG-AFRA president, Fran Drescher, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the name, she's most famous for her role as the star of the hit 1993 sitcom, The Nanny. Uh, she also chaired the negotiating committee, and she said Wednesday night that the Guild, end quote, negotiated in good faith and was eager to reach a deal that sufficiently addressed performer needs, but the AMPTP's responses to the union's most important proposals have been insulting and disrespectful of our massive contributions to this industry. The companies have refused to meaningfully engage on some topics and on others completely stonewalled us. Until they do negotiate in good faith, we cannot begin to reach a deal. Those are some pretty harsh words, but frankly, I don't think it does Fran Jescher's fury Justice. So we're just going to play a short clip. We are experiencing that right at this moment. This is a very seminal hour for us. I went in in earnest thinking that we would be able to avert a strike. It's a very serious thing that impacts thousands, if not millions of people all across this country and around the world. Not only members of this union, but people who work in other industries that service the people that work in this industry. And so it came with great sadness that we came to this crossroads, but we had no choice. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things, how they plead poverty, 
that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It is disgusting. Shame on them. They stand on the wrong side of history at this very moment. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI. This is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines and big business. Who cares more about Wall Street than you and your family? Most of Americans don't have more than $500 in, a, in an emergency. This is a very big deal, and it weighed heavy on us. But at some point, you have to say, no, we're not going to take this anymore. You people are crazy. So, Fran Drescher, uh, not mincing words, not mincing words at all. The Screen Actors Guild joins the writers, the Writing Guild of America, which has been an ongoing strike of its own since May 2nd over very similar concerns uh, related to the use of AI and residual payments for their work. A little bit of historical context here. The last time the Writers Guild of America went on strike was the infamous 2007 through 2008 strike that lasted roughly around three months. Most notorious to the, us millennials in the room for killing heroes and, uh, you know, giving us that god-awful Transformer sequel. The last time SAG-AFRA went on strike as a full body was in 1980. And this is the first time since 1960 that both the writers and actors have both been on strike at the same time. Fun fact, Ronald Reagan was the president of SAG at that time. Is that a fun fact? There's something deeply ironic about that, but that's, <laughs> that is literally a whole other podcast. I got yeah. a lot of PTSD. Yeah, you, to Union Buster Ronnie being the old SAG press. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a fucking mind. Ugh, that'll mess with your head. I have feelings. Um, you know, just to provide some context to, you know, they're obviously upset uh, for a variety of reasons. The SAG Writers Guild wanting to actually be paid a fair wage. The streaming industry has frankly changed the business model and the business model did not adapt and take, bring things like residual pay over. So, for example, I know um, you see a lot of actors out there who you see, you think of the movie stars, but really who this is about are the people you don't know the name of who are on all the different TV shows that you watch uh, in, in like guest roles, for example. But also this last week, what timing Disney announced they're generally liked uh, and recently returned CEO Bob Iger is extending his contract to 2026, which is two years longer than he previously planned. And this uh, this announcement follows the completion of 7000 layoffs at Disney uh, that were completed this last May. And while I, I was unable to find the specifics of his current compensation package, according to Reuters, the terms of his contract his pre, in his previous contract include the opportunity to receive an annual incentive bonus of five times his base salary. And in the previous contract, he was entitled to an estimated $27 million per year in total compensation. So not only does he get $27 million a year for the job, but he can make up to five times that in bonus incentives, right? Another CEO that's people probably have seen the name of a lot of is Dave Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Discovery. He was, between the years of 2018 and 2022, he was paid $498,915,318 over the course of five years. And according to the Times analysis of the executive compensation at 10 publicly held uh, media entertainment companies, so this is 
basically an estimate based on what a lot of people and analysts are saying. So that's not a public number, but if you take the number crunches, basically if the total compensation and what he's getting in terms of stock options for his various companies. Yeah, that's a uh, two Mission Impossible's dead reckoning. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, just over a course of five years, you find the whole movies himself. It was reported in March that uh, Dave Zaslav received $39 million as part of that compensation just in 2022 alone. That was the year that he completed the Warner Media Discovery merger, famously canceling Batgirl and releasing The Flash, which that, we'll talk about that more in a moment. Lots of information here to unpack. Frankly, there, there's a lot more to it than what I'm we're able to talk about here. But I wanted to go around the table and just see what everyone thought. Laurent, you actually work like yeah. your, your bread and butter is in the film industry. So maybe you could share kind of your perspective on this. I feel like, you know, the most telling thing or the most I think the, the most crucial thing that we need to talk about from Fran's speech is that I don't think has really echoed or resonated enough with people is that it's not just these millionaires and billionaires fighting versus millionaires and billionaires. She was like, it's also affecting the businesses that service these things because film industries employ, I mean, film productions employ, um, you know, the states that they're in, you know, we're talking about seamstresses, uh, hotel rentals, um, catering services, all these things benefit when films are there, which is what we've been fighting for in Oklahoma for a long time is to try and incentivize them to continue to make movies here because it's going to help the local Oklahoma economy. And, when, you know, when people finally realize that it does actually benefit, like it employs many people for that sustained amount of time, all those people are going to be affected by, you know, these these, you know, the, this abrupt halt of this. Um, but and I th there's also, like I said, this misconception that it's just, you know, well, it doesn't affect me because it's just these these wealthy people fighting versus wealthy people. But that's just not true because you're not thinking about all the people who are employed you know, on these films, you know, from the crew standpoint, who also can't work because the actors aren't are on strike and the writers are on strike. Uh, I'm actively on a television series right now since February. Um, and we had, you know, two more weeks of filming um, and then two more weeks of, uh, of post-production. Um, so that's a month of pay I'm not getting, you know, and as somebody who, you know, makes their living exclusively off of being a freelance filmmaker, that is staggering for me. That's actually, you know, um, kind of concerning. I don't know what my next job is going to be. It's going to be whenever this strike lifts, because other than that, I'm going to have to find another nine to five somewhere in the meantime, you know, and I've been able to be employed for the last five years just doing this, you know, so that's been really nice. But I, I say that, so I'm in a precarious situation where, yeah, you know, I've become collateral damage to this, this war that's happening between these two sides. But at the same time, I'm 1000% behind it because of the things that they're asking for that have that have, frankly we've been asking for for a long time you know and so and then the added you know um element of this this AI situation is actually really eerie in a way because we're already seeing it in different ways you know like you know if you go to the your local AMC you know like people aren't servicing anymore you're putting it in a kiosk which in some ways is is easy but there was a time when I worked at AMC where I was passing out tickets to people, but you see that jobs are being, you know, truncated, you know, by these, by these advancements. And so to think that some, that we would live in a world at one point where you don't even need an actors, you know, to, you know, to be here to, to service for it is kind of, is very concerning for the industry at large, you know, so same thing with writers. Cause you know, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but until we reach a deal, they're, they're hemorrhaging, money every day because you got to think the entire country is affected by this 
every television show you watch, every TV show you watch, every movie, you know, everything stopped. Everything's at a halt right now until they come to an agreement. So if you enjoy your local Netflix and Prime and all these different streaming accounts and all these shows, then I, I mean, until this we reach a deal, then you're only going to be able to watch what's presently there, mm-hmm. you know. So, and I think you know the average viewer. This is me. Um, editorializing or throwing my speculation out there. I don't think people are going to really feel it this year. No, I no. think you, you might feel it a little bit in TV by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't think films are going to feel it at all this That's year. True. Um, in terms of having content available, I think there's a myriad of other sure. ways you're going to feel it. Like I'm talking specifically about the consumer experience, Absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I think next year though, it's going to be devastating. Yeah. L- like oh, there's yeah. not going to be any Anything films else. like mm-hmm. even uh, mission impossible, the reckoning part two. On hold. It was supposed to come out next summer. There's no way. Yes. It was already going to be tight. There's no way it's coming out next summer now. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things where, unfortunately, I think you're right. It does affect the average person, like, yeah. way more than they realize. They're not yeah. going to really feel it in their day-to-day for a few months. That's true. Unfortunately. True. Yeah. Um, but people, what we're saying is you should pay attention. You should rally support to have this thing done. Uh, yeah. Ideally, supporting, you know, the people doing the work uh, who are trying to – protect the viability of their career. (laughs) Well, and you think about it, because we hear the term paycheck to paycheck. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm actually living gig to gig, you know? So if there's no gigs in the prospective future, then I don't have a job. I'm unemployed right now, you know? So that's, that's a very scary thought, you know, when this is your entire livelihood. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's concerning in a lot of ways. Um, Chelsea or Dalton, Dalton, I'll turn to you first. What are you, any thoughts on this whole SAG Africa strike you want to, Share solidarity, baby. Uh, my grandfather was a UAW rep for years and years and years. So I, uh, I'm come from a union family, and I take the shit seriously. Uh, DGA win. Uh, join them. Fuck them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's bad. It's scary. I got friends that are actors that are non-union or not not SAG actors, and this puts them in a really shitty situation. Uh, I mean, it's bad for everybody, but. This does not get better without workers uh, flexing some muscle. And that's going to be the case for a lot of industries and look over the coming years. I don't know. The French had a really elegant solution for this a few hundred years ago. <laughs> Didn't turn out great. Uh, uh, mixed results. Mixed let's results. Say, let's say. It, it was very bloody. Notoriously very bloody. But, there, you know, there was a change that occurred. Yes. So I guess it, mission accomplished in that sense. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Chelsea, anything you want to add? I think that. It's so interesting because, I mean, we ran, we mentioned Ronald Reagan, like very much his economic policies are what have led us here. Yep. Um, yes. The man on the picket lines, the one that destroyed the picket line. Um, <laughs> but I think looking at it as like the larger picture, so much of like, you know, the right to work states and everything like that. This is like going to be such a moment for labor, not even just SAG after, not even. I mean, uh, the UPS contract ends July 31st. So we might recently be seeing UPS going on strike. Like there's so many factors that are going to go into this that we might hopefully see some changes moving forward, especially with AI that, I mean, they're trying to make an argument that basically we don't need people to do these things. So if if you're going to have an AI economy, what does that mean for the the person, the people that are actually like out here living it? Right. I mean, these are the entertainment unions are some of the strongest unions in this country. Absolutely. Uh, and again, a lot of that has to do with Ronnie in the 80s and, you know, right to work 
laws and I mean there's a whole all kinds of stuff that went into taking power away from unions but like if the entertainment unions can't get anything done I really worry about you know labor in the rest of the country um, I mean we'll see it's a, yeah. it's it's a certainly an uncertain time I'm optimistic I feel like the push to form more unions is the strongest it's been in my lifetime mm-hmm. um, the video game industry right now for example I keep track of that Sega just formed the largest video game his, uh, union in history at Sega uh, I think last week awesome. two weeks ago um, and and they're not the first one there's been some in Activision Blizzard like and I know it's a separate industry but I think the consistent threat is, hey, you guys have taken and squeezed workers for as much money as you can for a long time. And now this AI conversation is coming along and it's like, oh, well, we don't even need you. You're like, You're like, wait, 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 wait. I've been doing this for you. You wouldn't even have this company. You wouldn't have the studio if it wasn't yeah. for the people doing the work. And now you're talking about potentially replacing us or paying us way less because you can automate parts of our jobs. Mm-hmm. That's you, not okay. Did you hear about the really dire thing they want to do to background actors? Uh, yeah, I did. A, I did. They yeah. work for a day and then they use your likeness in perpetuity. Yeah. That was the, uh, yeah, the air quotes groundbreak. That was the proposal from the producers was, oh yeah, uh, you can scan the the background actors yeah. and then use them forever. So what, what the hell? What is and that? And there's nothing to protect them from that. And no. that's what's terrifying is there's nothing in the contract that says they can't do that. You know what I mean? Like actors can, can, can sue if you have their likeness, but, but background don't really have much of a, sta- a stance in that. And what's really scary too, is the rhetoric coming from the other side is that like, well, we'll just wait until writers and yeah, they're wanting to wait till people are homeless. Wait until we're homeless. Isn't, and that, then... isn't that just like maniacally evil though? Mm-hmm. Like what I couldn't believe. Yeah. So there was a, uh, for context listeners, there was a deadline article that came out this week. In addition to all the other news that some of the producers uh, or sorry, the uh, studio executives had come out and said, yeah, we're actually, we're, we're planning on not having negotiations until late October. By then they're going to start, you know, having losing their homes and their apartments so we can get them while they're desperate. And I'm just like, Wow, That's, Ron, yeah. pa- Ron Perlman knows where yeah. they are. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That yeah, so several ways to lose your There's home. Several ways to lose your home. And we know where you live, sir. <laughs> it was Get him, Ron. Uh, and people who are at their desperate needs might not have the might not have the moral compass they have mm-hmm. right now. But anyway. But I think just the last thing I'd say that Chelsea, I think you're alluding to, um, is there's a lot of turmoil in this country. The wealth gap has been an issue that. I think most people who are paying attention have known about for a while and it's not getting any better. So this is kind of the entertainment union stepping in and saying enough's enough. We have to have protections in place for us. And I do assuming this ends positively, I'm optimistic uh, that this will lead to um, more uh, workers fighting for their rights, either in official unions or not. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the, yeah, it can't keep things cannot keep stay on the same track. It's on right now without there being, really, really dire consequences. I think with SAG going on strike, I think the first hint we see of an actual like economic impact going into it, I think you'll see a, like a federal mediator come in. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, uh, you know, hey, stay educated, stay informed, but want to note this, this is a massive thing that's happening in the entertainment industry. And frankly, uh, there's a high likelihood it's going to dramatically impact our programming for next year i would mm. suspect I and mean, we'll figure out a way to do a show but it's sure you know if there's no new releases coming out what do you talk about so good time to catch up on the classics oh i can't wait <laughs> gotta go through all my criterions that are on my shelf that it, I isn't it watched. ironic though that we're like we're in the the this was supposed to be the year where we're like we're seeing this huge resurgence yes. like big blockbuster big money next weekend is barbenheimer like we're seeing like that you know finally we're getting back to that out of the COVID slug that we had for a while just to have something like this be an obstacle next year, which will put us set us back yet again, mm-hmm. you know, to get people reinvigorated to go back. It's just like 
you know, it's, unfortunate. The, the timing is very unfortunate, but I think it's necessary. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think it's super necessary. Although, you know, unless you ask Bob Iger, who's on CNBC this year, said, you know, I think this is actually the worst time for them to do this. I think it's, you know, what they're wanting is just not realistic. Says one of the wealthiest people on the planet. I, <laughs> you're just like, come on, dude. Yeah. It's just, it's so much money, man. It's, it really hurts your brain to try to wrap around. Yes, I have a whole soapbox that I get on all the time about it, but we're not going to have that right now. We're going to talk about something more fun. It's going to be the movies that we saw since we last reviewed Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in June. I'm going to name a movie, and if you have something to say, and you'll have like approximately a minute to weigh in on about it. And if uh, there is a little short conversation, that's fine, but we want to keep it all real tight because it's got 10, uh, sorry, 11 movies on this list here. So number one, I know the one we were all dying to see. It was top of my list this summer. The sequel, I have been dying to see Transformers Rise of the Beasts. The first one. Did anyone actually see this? This came out the weekend of Dead Center, so I know none of us saw it that weekend. No. No? Okay. Easy. Elemental. I saw it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I felt like it was um, on par with a lot of what we've seen from Pixar as of late, but there was a sweetness and a cuteness there that I liked it enough. It's not a classic by any means, but the animation was nice. It had a sweet story. I don't think it will stand the test of time, you know, with all the rest of their releases. Um, but I don't think it's nearly the, you know, the train wreck or whatever that some people have kind of allowed yeah. it to be. I enjoyed it, at least, you know. So. I am right there with you. I thought it was really solid. Score was really I, the score too. was great. The visuals. I, now, granted, we had just seen Spider-Man like two weeks before it. Sure. So it's not that, but the, the the animation was really clever. The way they do the elements was really neat. I thought the love story, while simple and kind of cliche, we haven't we don't see those in Pixar movies very often or ever. So I thought it was really neat to get that in there. I'd say firm middle of the pack Pixar, not not yeah. top tier classic, but it's certainly no like the good dinosaur. It's yeah. not bad. Like yeah. it was it was very sweet, and um, it did not open very strong at the box office. And I'm very excited to see it's had really strong legs. Families have kept going back to it. So if you are family looking for a movie, I think uh, Elemental is a good one to go to. All right. The Flash. And I know I'm starting with Chelsea on this. Chelsea, thank you for being with me watching The Flash. You're welcome. What would you think? I mean, you knew I was going to be there. It's, it's yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I always love how they, like, interpreted the Speed Force in the yeah. Snyderverse. So it's just, you know, it's a bunch of, like, R.I.P. Snyderverse. I'm definitely not looking forward to the Gunverse Based off, really? the, based off the casting casting announcements that have come out, I'm just like, this is just gonna be like suicide, like Suicide Squad on steroids. So I'm not super stoked about it. Um, but I loved Sasha as Supergirl. Um, I really hoped we would get to see her further on. But there were some things that worked. There were some things that didn't, and it was definitely the marks of three different um, rewrites because they never knew what they were gonna do with that movie until everything ended. So uh, it was fine. Famously, James Gunn and Dave Zaslav both at CinemaCon said it was the best superhero movie they'd ever seen. Tom Cruise too. He oh, saw, Tom, he Tom said Cruise did say that. Saving the movie industry. Well, okay, actually, <laughs> he. I'm sure. I'm not saying he didn't say that, but the way we heard about it was who was it? James got someone was like Tom Cruise called me and said it was the best superhero movie he'd ever seen. <laughs> and now it's literally like a running joke. Everybody, what, what it was flopped it? Flopped there, there so was, hard. Well, no, now people are using it. They're like, this this next movie is coming out. Tom Cruise called and said, oh. I saw, I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing. And so, yeah, no, I was just a running joke. Um, you know, hey, I, for what it's worth, I think this is one of the best DCEU movies ever made. Um, like, I had a great time with it. I'm I'm not here to weigh in on the character sure. of, of Ezra Miller. They have all sorts of problems that I in no way endorse. And if you don't feel comfortable either like seeing the movie, liking the movie, or saying positive things about it because of them, I totally super respect that. 
I come from the perspective of generally, as long as I can be physically comfortable, thousands of people work on the movies. And so I, I swallowed the, the bittersweet pill, saw it and I hate, so this is going to sound harsh. Ezra Miller was really good. And I was very shocked because I didn't think I was going to like them, yeah. but, uh, but I love Michael Keaton shows back up. It's, it's got heart, uh, the visual effects that people hated. They didn't look great, but they never bothered me. Um, mm-hmm. Again, one of the best outings for me, uh, tragedy, I mean, I shouldn't say, sh- shouldn't say tragedy, but Bummer didn't do better just because, you know, it's so much better than most of the other ones from the Snyderverse. Laurent, did you see it? I did. It was a mixed bag for me. I liked I, I liked it a lot more than I anticipated on liking it. Um, I agree about Ezra Miller. I thought they were the best part of it, but also um, have have personal feelings about them aside, but yeah, definitely, uh, but just looking at it as a film, um, they're definitely, for me, it's weird that, that some of the visuals were like, like state of the art. And then some of them were bad. oddly, oddly just almost didn't even feel like they were rendered all the way. It's yep. just, just, it's just strange hodgepodge of, of, of elements there. But, um, there was enough in this really kind of, I don't know, disjointed, you know, narrative that, that that stuck with me, you know what I mean? There were some emotional stakes that I actually was invested in. And so for that, I would say it was it was middle of the road, but, you know, um, it, more enjoyable than I thought. And as you said, probably one of the better <laughs> DC movies, which isn't saying much, right. but there's probably two or three good ones, you know, like so. But uh, I enjoyed it more than I anticipated. And I, that for me was a win. Mm-hmm. And notoriously have tanked hard at the box office too, yeah. like like abysmal. Yeah. It's just so funny. And we're not going to open this can of worms because uh, I think it's a whole separate podcast. But it is one of those things where you're like, wow, they they saved this, but ditched Batgirl. And and and, and my whole yeah. rationale was because I guess the test screenings they had done were so positive and then mm. completed so much of the production already. They're like, we'll just yeah, we're going to yeah. put this one out, even though despite the fact the problematic star. Uh, and it's a wonder if it was worth all of it. Right. Because now, like you said, it wasn't the big success they thought it was going to be. But. I mean, it might have been a better movie than some thought, but I think they said they lost like two hundred million off that movie. Yeah, tee hee hee. Yep. When David's not happy, I'm happy. You know what I mean? David David Z crying into his pile of money, and I go Next up, the blackening. Dalton, I see you have your initial next to this one. What do you What do you think of? It's fun. Hey, look, we need more Juneteenth movies, and this is this is a fun one. Tim Story is definitely more a comedy director than a horror director, and and this. That's where this is in its strongest lane is when it's it's focused on the comedy, sort of the kind of the Scream-esque, uh, you know, metatextual take on the slasher film uh, and, and just really dealing with race in the American horror movie and kind of taking that theme and, and falling into its most logical conclusion. Uh, really fun movie. I really want to see this. I think it's finally out on VOD already. Yeah. I really want to see it. Just yeah, busy, busy summer. Uh, Leron, what did you think? Man, uh I'm just so disappointed I didn't make this <laughs> because I, I, mean, I wrote a treatment for a, a very similar story to this was just like, you know, it's like it would be a short film, but it was just like if you just had an all black cast and they all made the right decisions, then the movie would just be this build up to something happening. And then they all walk away and there's no there's nothing happens because they did everything they're supposed to, you know, like and I thought that'd be a funny, you know, version of a short in here kind of expand upon those tropes and all of that. And there's, there's some, this is, I thought it was wickedly funny throughout, you know, like, and I agree with you, Tim Story's known for comedy. 
um, the horror elements don't quite work in it as much or strongly, at least. Yeah. Uh, but the the writing is really sharp and the cast is a blast. Yeah, the performances are all awesome. Yeah, yeah and it's really and it just it it's just I mean to say it's like a quintessential like black movie too. Like, I mean, like every reference that the little even some of the in jokes. I'm like, I wonder if everyone's even getting some of these references, and maybe they will. I mean, if they're really cultured, but it's funny even still not knowing everything. But there's definitely like I noticed a. Uh, you know, a mix of laughs between different parts where like didn't quite get that one, but then you saw the other half of the audience is like dying, you know, like, so <laughs> that's fun. It was a it was a blast. I had a good time with it. I really wish I could have seen this in a theater. I'm the, I think, it is I an audience like movie for one. sure. Yeah, yeah. I, went, I went to a matinee and I wish I'd gone a little later. The mat, We had an OK crowd, but yeah, I wish I'd gone to like a, a real like rowdy nighttime screening. Yeah. <laughs> Well, love to hear the endorsement. I, I saw the trailers and I was like, this is either going to be amazing or terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad to hear that it uh, is uh, lives up to the best I am hope I had for the movie. Sure. Uh, Extraction 2. Who, who, Laurent, you've seen Extraction 2? I've signed, seen neither. I, I saw that. <laughs> I saw a clip of that prison fight. Uh, okay. All right. They're All cheating, right. but it's cool. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what do you want? Uh, th- th- none of us saw it. No. no. Okay. <laughs> That tells sorry, you what we extracted sorry, from Chris. the group. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> I like Chris. The the whole watching a giant blockbuster at home bothers me. I'd rather watch it on the big screen. Uh, oh, here's a one that I think is going to be a point of conversation. Past Lives from A24. Yeah. Dalton, yeah, I'll kick yeah, to you baby. first on this one. That's such a good movie. Yeah, that's, gonna, that's top three of the year consideration yeah. when we, we get to December. Yeah, I love this film. It's really good. Go see it. Support it. Uh, it's a beautiful film. A great directorial debut. If you Excellent. like Richard, Link, Richard Linklater films, if you like Wong Kar Wai films, like this is in that that wheelhouse of, of longing and passion. And yeah, it's a great film. Uh, Arthur and I did a quick review of it over on the Good Trash feed. So yes. if you want more thoughts, go check that out. Check it out. Yes, Laron Chapman, what did you think of Past Lives? I love this. I think it's probably, I mean, next to Killers and maybe depending on how well Oppenheimer does, it could be it could be one of the biggest contenders for Best Picture next year, I think. So I highly recommend it. I'm wearing the I'm wearing a before uh, uh, trilogy T-shirt right now that really echoes a lot of those those kind of sentiments. And it's just it's it's just pitch perfect. It's very it's definitely a, a slow burn nuance melancholy but throughout it just gets really you know emotional and the ending is just gutting you know so yeah um i just i just appreciated the affection and the attention to detail and just how you know it's simple but it's also universal and i think something i think roger ebert said it like the more specific it gets the more universal it becomes and this is one of those situations where it's definitely an immigrant story Definitely speaks to that, but it's at some point it just becomes a human story. And yeah, it's it's a it's a it's amazing because uh, yeah, this I feel like is one of uh, the best looks as a person who was born and raised in this country and is, is white. So you know, there's a lot of things that I don't think about that I love movies for kind of like showing you like, hey, here's these different perspectives. It was one of the best looks I think I've had seeing like what is it like to be a like a first generation immigrant. You know, you're it's like a whole part of yourself. It's really actually a good companion, I think, to everything everywhere all at once, frankly, mm-hmm. um, where what is it like you have your whole self and a whole life you lived in a different country, literally had a different name. Yeah. And like, how do you as an adult in particular, how do you reconcile that? Your identity, and, is, mm-hmm. you know, and how your attachment to it because she lived there. But it's just, yeah. Uh, I just thought her and the the leader, Greta Lee, and the the lead there were yeah, really really great together. Too, you. Yeah, uh, he's great. And uh, John McGarrow, who mm-hmm. just keeps oh yeah, up. yeah, support yeah, a very unlikely like supporting character because you normally wouldn't see that person 
be seen, and that's yeah. referenced in the movies mm-hmm. too, as well. Um, I thought that was kind of funny, actually. Yeah, he's like, I would be the, I'd be the, the white I'm the evil white uh, husband who's got you trapped right. in this miserable life. But he's life. not. Yeah. He's actually really supportive yeah. and understands that this person meant a lot to my wife, and so I get what she's feeling and I support that she, you know, the way song screenplay yeah, kind of tips its hat to like what the rom-com version of the story would be is like really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just kind of deep constantly reminding you that I'm better than that. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm better than the movie you thought this could be. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, highly, highly recommend folks. It is definitely one of the top films of the year. Um, again, uh, walking beautiful people, walking and talking around beautiful places, talking about life. What's not to love. Come it definitely on. made New York look a lot prettier than it is. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's latest film. I've seen it. Um, what do you think? I prefer it to um, the most recent one, The French Dispatch. I I, yeah, I was kind of in the minority of liking The French Dispatch a lot more than some people did. But, I thought it was great. But mm-hmm. I definitely think it was probably not as as rewatchable as some of the other ones. Um, this one, I mean, man, the production value in this is just is great. I mean, if anything, even if you just put it on mute, it's just beautiful to look at. Um, this one's definitely more insular. It's a little bit more, it's a lot more like um, uh, life aquatic than it would be like, you know, the Grand Budapest. Yeah. So it's definitely not as big. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely like we're in this one spot. It's kind of a chamber piece. Um, but, you know, I, I I kind of enjoy the simplicity of it. And I think it kind of re, re and, you know, put him back in the in the conversation of like, okay, he still has this thing that he can do, you know, mm-hmm. that's really unique. And his isms uh, enhance the story and the idea is not uh, distract yeah. from, as yeah. I think a lot of people feel, yeah. Some, yeah. especially with the French Dispatch. Some fans yeah. have thought this is slight for him and some some think it's a return to form. So it's kind of, it is kind of polarizing in that way. It's but. weird. I think it's like upper middle pack for me. It's not my favorite, but it's yeah. also, I, I put would put it above at least half of his other films. Sure. Like he's just, the way he's dealing with, such like complex human emotions related to how well uh, there's the griefing aspect, but there's also the the creating part and mm-hmm. like how all of it fits together. He's dealing with some like really abstract, deep ideas that he communicates so well with his weird idiosyncratic style. Um, yeah. I really liked it a lot. I too. Yeah, well, Wes has never been more back, baby. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like this movie a lot. Uh, I, I think about my alien who art in heaven. Yes. Uh, tall, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. And, tall and lean, about six foot seven. Yeah, I, I think about that fucker. Uh, yeah, what a fun picture. Yeah. I, I really, and you, you were just speaking to this, Caleb, but the way this film like deals with grief, which is, you know, a theme that Anderson's dealt with, you know, in his filmography a couple of times. But this just like, this collection of hurt people, both, acting as actors within a play within a film and acting as actors who are the actors in the play, (laughs) like both characters that the, you know, our Jason Schwartzman and our, our Scarlett Johansson, both of this character and the character in the play, like these performances, like really sing and they they really bring something both in performance and in screenplay. They really bring something to these characters. It's, you know, Wes kind of, you know, people wouldn't compare him to Nolan too much, but I think he does kind of get dinged for being like a little distant and removed in the way he deals with emotion. And I think this film like kind of really keys in on like, no, these people are like very deeply feeling. They just like, they cannot open that reservoir because if they open it up, like they won't be able to stop it. And I think that's like a really interesting way to like play with these characters and kind of, you know, build like a real person, uh, even though it's a play within a movie. Uh, and then the, the actors, uh, get their own kind of moments to shine when they, they talk about trying to find, you know, 
the truth in the work. Like, yeah, just really cool stuff, man. Both, as you said, like dealing with, you know, the grief, but also dealing with the creative process and, you know, the way that these things are all intertwined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really, one of my favorite movies of the year so far. There's a great scene towards the end of the movie, uh, between, I mean, there's a lot of great scenes at the end of the movie, but, uh, in between Adrian Brody and Jason Schwartzman, where he's like, am I doing good? Am I doing the right thing? As a performer, it's like this whole thing. He's like, he, he's like, I don't think I'm getting the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And and Adrian Brody says, you don't have to. You're doing amazing. Mm-hmm. Just know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's like just something about it. And then there's a scene that follows that, that I won't get into because it's kind of spoilery. But it just really hits. It's like a one-two punch at the end for me. For me, I was yeah. like, wow, just boom, boom, boom. Three different moments where I just felt like. The whole movie could be built around that one line. Mm-hmm. If they do it three times like that. It's good stuff. It is really good stuff. I could talk a lot more about it. Yes. Uh, that's definitely one where in a, in a different reality, a different multiverse, we would have done a very in-depth episode on it. But alas, we're talking Mission Impossible. But only after we hear about what Dalton thinks of No Hard Feelings. It's fun. J-Law is still a movie star, folks. Come on. She's great. She nude fights a bunch of teens in this. What? It's fucking hilarious. Full yeah. frontal. Yeah. Full, fr- full yes. frontal. Full yes. frontal. She's not scared. that, that After Red Sparrow, she don't care. <laughs> no. I kept saying, I was like, I think I've seen her naked more than most actresses. But hey, whatever. It's cool. You know, uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, she's so funny in this. And, and I, I forget his name, but her, her male co-star, uh, this is like his first big role. And I, he's really funny fun in it too nice. he holds his own uh, against her and it's just yeah it, it is uh, you know a return to sort of the aughts raunch comedy mm-hmm. but it is still trying to you know have a more evolved outlook it's just trying to be a, a film for now that is concerned with modern concerns and, and that's a tricky needle to thread it is and i think it does so pretty well uh, yeah, it's fun. Go check it out. It's slight, but it's definitely a great time. Yeah. Well, Ronnie, did you see this one? I did. I'm slightly cooler on it because I think that it tries to be a film, like as you're mentioning from the early aughts, those hard R sex comedies. Mm-hmm. And I think it accomplishes that for half of its running time. And then the other half, it does kind of settle into being, it goes for the sentiment really hard. And mm-hmm. I don't know if everything that it tries to, you know, grapple at emotionally lands for me but yeah i'd like that third act more in theory than in practice yeah for sure and i think but i do agree i think that this is a a j-law vehicle where Mm -hmm. like she's given it 110 percent, and when the comedy does hit it's 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 a blast you know so Middle of the road, but had a good time with it. And um, I do think the two leads are great. Yeah. As you mentioned, um, the young kid, his name is uh, cool. Yeah, he's 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 a newcomer, but he he holds his own with her, you know. And so um, I did feel a little strange with the whole, like, she's, what, 10 years his Yeah, senior, she's like 10 years older than him. And the focus is a little bit more on her kind of, like, lean, you know, really pining to, like, I actually really like this kid. And I'm like... His name uh, Andrew Barth Feldman. Yeah, it's him. yeah, okay. yeah. They have they have really great uh, chemistry together. Um, but I mean, there's enough here that that reminded me of a time when this kind of movie was made. We'll talk about another one that I think did it a lot better um, here in a moment. So, uh, yeah, I think hey, it's cool. Um, I I find it. I didn't see it. I was curious about it. I hate to be the part of the problem here, but that's definitely one I'll watch at home, which sure. I know is a part of the reason sure. we don't get. St- comedies like this anymore so i need to not be a hypocrite yeah. uh but Put i will say more comedies though put j-law in more comedies this yeah i know for real she can do that i yeah. think it's interesting that she actually she's already won an oscar she's already had several blockbusters and she's choosing to wield her power to do 
raunch comedy. This is a smart. I think it's cool. I think it's great. Her career's kind of been in a weird spot. Yeah, I think this is a good move for her. Yep, excited. Uh, Okay. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Here's the thing, listeners. I desperately wanted to do this podcast. I wanted to do a whole retrospective. Laura and I rewatched all of them. But, you know, sometimes you just got to look out for your well-being. And uh, (laughs) schedules weren't aligning. We had both. Laurent's been busy with his day job. He did Dead Center. So anyway, we didn't end up having it. So we're going to talk about it right now in a very short form. But I have very complex feelings about this one. Chelsea, you 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 put your initials next to the movie, so I'm going to go throw it to you first. Yes, I did squeak this one in. Um, Indiana Jones has never been like one of my like biggest franchises, so I can't say I've seen all the other ones recently enough to like compare them. But this one felt I liked it. I thought that the like the ending presented Indy a lot of like really interesting like concerns and just like things he had to figure out about himself when he was clearly like he's at the he had already kind of retired at this point um in this movie and so it asked a lot of questions about like what could you do if you could go back what could you if you had these other opportunities um but i think it was a little too disney-fied for me it was very flat feeling yes um i think that the de-aging that they did on harrison was some of i actually thought it was some of the better ones i've seen like Sam Jackson looks a little waxy whenever they like do his de-aging still. Even There's a reason C- that they said it at nighttime. Yeah. When he was in the train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I liked it. Um, it's probably not like a repeat watch for me just because I'm not an indie fan, but I, I go see it. It's definitely a, a worthwhile like watch. Okay. All right. Chelsea, a fan. Lauren, have you, did you catch this one? I did. I'm a modest indie fan just because I grew up. Dad loved them, you know, so I've seen them several times. Um, uh, Crystal Skull. I know. I mean, I know we were kind of mixed on the table about our feelings and sentiments about that. I was deeply disappointed in it when I saw it because um, I just did, thought it just never matched the same heft or energy as the other ones. Um, this one to me was better than that one at least. So you know, I felt like uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge was hilarious. I thought she was a great addition to it. Um, I agree. I thought the de-aging at the beginning, you know, the more you look at it, if you look at it too long, you can kind of start seeing where the seams are. But generally speaking, I've seen it a lot worse than that. And mm-hmm. so I thought, OK, I can get behind that, you know, and um, there are some really fun, well-executed chase scenes in this, you know, so it has that that nostalgic kind of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Big movie, you know, um, uh, element to it. But I, I do think it overstays its welcome. I did start to feel the runtime. Um, and the third act gets a little messy for me and gets, it, it, I appreciate a movie that swings for the finches and had, it had huge ambitions for the end. I don't think it sticks to the landing, but I appreciate the effort and the daring, you know, behind it. So overall a entertaining, if not completely like, you know, you know, substantial, you know, entry in the franchise. Mm-hmm. So don't let you catch this one. Couldn't be me. Okay. Maybe, maybe someday. I'm going to try to take my dad to see it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a dad, dad movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Like, I like Indiana Jones, okay? Yeah. yeah. Love the first three, um, although the Temple of Doom, every time I rewatch it, I'm like, this gets ickier every time I rewatch it, despite <laughs> it having some of the coolest set pieces of the whole franchise. And Harrison Ford might have never been hotter. Oh, yeah. Shirtless Harrison Ford? Than oh, Temple yeah. of Doom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to love about that movie. I want to be very clear. But the, the woman problems, the... It's a real divorce the, guy energy movie. Yeah, yeah. And then the way they paint the Indian, the, you yeah. know, you're like, eh. They gave, they gave Phoebe Waller-Bridge agency in this one. They I did. like that she was very much like her own independent yeah. character. I did appreciate that because it does have some sexist nice. kind of mm-hmm. depictions in the earlier iterations that I think... Yeah. You know, maybe some would call that woke, but I appreciate it, you know, that she wasn't 
a damsel in distress mm-hmm. by any means here. She she held her own, so that was nice to see. She was definitely a huge add to this one, whereas I felt like in the fourth one when they brought uh, what's her name back from the first one, she didn't really do anything. Sure. She was just there. Um, yeah, Karen Allen. Karen Allen. Yeah, thank you. Really give her much. Thank to you. Do. Yeah, and uh, so a uh, long story short, I had never been on the Crystal Skull movies garbage train. I I uh, always thought it was just okay, not as good as the originals, but also it wasn't like tarnishing my child like some people feel like it's just the worst thing <laughs> since the star wars prequels in the same sense yeah yeah <laughs> um and i rewatched crystal skull beforehand i still will stand by it it's not as good as the first three but honestly especially the first two acts i'm like this is pretty great and then it's the third fine. and then the third act is garbage <laughs> it's fine it's the whole good. thing's fine i love act one in particular we're not gonna fight about it. but this one <laughs> uh, what's interesting though is i the third act is where the that, that movie the crystal skull really falls apart for me in this movie it's the opposite I uh, I actually you talk about big swings, Leron. It takes some big swings, and initially I was like, okay, that was kind of cool. I don't know how much I love it, but the more I've thought about it and the, how it thematically aligns with the the idea of Indiana Jones, the more and kind of wrestling with nostalgia, culture, and like some of the stuff Chelsea was talking about a second ago, it the ending has really appreciated greatly since I've seen the movie now. I still think you have two thirds of just an okay movie and uh, James Mangold, the director I love and respect. And I, I, I love most of his movies. He's not got the visual sensibilities of Spielberg. The action's nowhere close to like what That's you'd fair. see in the first four movies. Um, but I think it's a fitting send off for the character. And also the movie got a whole star bump on me on letterbox just cause Harrison Ford in that role. He's so good. Yeah. He stepped right back into that really easily. It didn't, he didn't feel like he was struggling. <laughs> Worth definitely worth your time, in my opinion. Uh, okay, Insidious and the Red Door. Who who has seen this? Good one? for Patrick Wilson. <laughs> good yeah, for him. Yeah. Good for him. I'm, I'm, he got to direct a movie. Yeah, yeah. and he yeah. got to bring the whole cast back from the first movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you guys? Did you see I, it? I'll get to it. Yeah, get to it. I, I'm a horror hound, so I saw it. Um, it's definitely the weakest in the series, but okay. you know, um, it has. But I mean, it's well directed. I mean, there's no fault of him. I just think the story focuses on things that aren't important. It's like half and, of the Insidious movies, right? Well, there you go. It's like yeah, because exactly. I, I like the first two, but I felt like this one just. You know, they, they focus on one element, this father-son dynamic, which I think is interesting. But I just, I feel like there are so many more interesting supporting characters that are here that just kind of get shafted. I'm like, oh, this is an interesting idea. This is interesting idea. And they just don't mm. go anywhere with it. It's a couple of jolts, but it's a very, like, average horror film. They got to save the ideas for the next five, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, right, man. Right. No. So, not to be mean. I, I, like, <laughs> I actually like more of the Insidious movies than I don't like. So, yeah. uh, uh, okay. That leads us to Joyride. Has anyone seen Joyride yet? Really want to catch up with this one. Me too. Yeah. It is a blast. And it was it's one of the best times I've had so far this summer. And we'll see about next weekend. But um, nice. I just, th- what we mentioned about no, no hard feelings is what I think this movie just gets entirely the all girl like hard r early aughts sex sex comedy it every joke lands this cast is great together it's another one of those where it's culturally specific but also relatable Mm -hmm. you know and so asian cinema is having like a huge i mean past lives two of them are in here past lives this you know just uh, won the oscar for everything everywhere parasite Mm -hmm. everything everywhere all at once minari you know like it's a big couple of years for stories about the east asian diaspora absolutely and it's been awesome in touching in every genre too totally prestige Mm -hmm. films sex comedies like every they're 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 doing well everywhere and uh definitely Stephanie Shu was great in this. Awesome. Um, uh, Sherry Cola is hilarious in this. It's it's a great ensemble. 
it's a smart film, even though it, it is definitely an R-rated comedy. There are three or four gags in this that you will remember. <laughs> you know, like so, and they will become memes and they will become running jokes. Um, but it also has heart. So it's not just for, pro you know, provocation. It's definitely um, a, you know, it definitely has heart and humor and, and pathos. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, the, the, the critical buzz on this and word of mouth has been so positive. I, I need to find time to see it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's, 11 movies we just really quickly talked on. Actually, 10, and we just made fun of Extraction, too. Um, <laughs> but uh, what have you guys been watching since we took our break? What what movie would you like to hear us talk more about in a future episode, perhaps? If there's anything we didn't drill down on, let us know. Cinematropolis at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, right on time. Let's get into our spoiler for your view of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Our lives are the sum of our choices. And we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is gonna cost you dearly. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. According to IMDb, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is described as Ethan Hunt and his IMF team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls into the wrong hands. A few important facts about this movie you should know. This is the seventh entry in the Mission Impossible franchise and the third one directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who directed both Rogue Nation and Fallout. This film was largely in production during COVID. During the COVID-19 pandemic, this film was stopped at least five times, so they had to shut down production and restart it at least five times. It's been credited as writing the pandemic filmmaking playbook. We are the gold standard, We are people. the gold standard, that's right. If you guys don't remember the infamous viral Tom Cruise video, Tom Cruise loves cinema, guys. He will fight to the death for cinema. That's Literally. right. <laughs> jump off a cliff. Because of that, this is the most expensive uh, entry in the franchise by a considerable margin coming in at a budget of around $290 million before marketing costs. Originally set to release next summer on June 28, 2024, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2 production has been shut down due to the previously discussed strikes. Another thing that was interesting that they've totally pivoted on in true Vin Diesel fashion when they announced the part one, part two, they announced it as this is the finale for Tom Cruise in this franchise. Mm -hmm. But much like Vin Diesel with the Fast and Furious franchise, after they've announced the finale, two part finale, like three times, Tom Cruise, especially after Indiana Jones is saying, no, I want to keep, I want to be Harrison Ford. I want to keep making these until I'm dead. I think he's scared to walk away. I think he is too. Yeah, I think Vin, same with Vin. Yeah. yeah. I think they don't know what their career is without these franchises without these movies. anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because, uh, I mean, Tom Cruise, I love him. We love him. But in terms of what makes money... Mm. Yeah, he's had a lot more misses than hits outside of Mission Impossible. So uh, there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, what are our overall thoughts on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Chelsea, across the table, I'll start with you. 
Um, I liked it. Super fun. Lots of really fun action sets. Um, didn't love the stuff with Ilsa, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked um, the addition of Haley Atwell. Love to see her like actually doing something that's not dependent on Captain America. Um, she was so good. She was so good. Um, loved her. Also, big Vanessa Kirby stan over here. Um, yes. We'll watch anything she's in. Um, but I think, so I loved it. I I was just like watching, it was riveted the whole time. The one thing I didn't like was it felt like some pieces were just really drawn out. Yeah. Like the car chase scene. A lot of exposition. But, yeah, I'm, I'm oh, you're right. The action too. The action. Uh. I felt like the car scene was kind of like played a little bit too much for laughs for the movie. And I'm okay. just like, I felt really weird as we're like in 10 minutes of this car chase. And I'm like, are we done? <laughs> it is especially if you compare it tonally to the last two Christopher McQuarrie films, this one is definitely more like lighthearted with yeah. its action versus especially fallout was very self-serious kind of dour ish. Mm-hmm. Noteworthy. Yep. Super fun. Loved it. So, but, but too long. Just, uh, we, we probably might've been able to make one movie if we had cut that car chase down. <laughs> <laughs> LaRon Chapman, what are your thoughts on mission? Uh, interesting. I, I agree too. I feel like there, this one had some weird, um, editing and pacing issues there in the, in the middle section. And I don't, I mean, it, I was never bored per se, but I definitely, it didn't feel as clean and polished as some of as some of the, the last two. Um, that being said, I mean, the set pieces in this are great. For me, the first two hours of this film um, are all are all really great and on par in terms of quality of the other ones. But I also think that um, the last forty minutes of this yeah. is what sets it apart for me from some of the other the ones. There's, there's two or three set pieces in this that I think are like top of the franchise in terms of um, you know the wow, fa- the awe inspiring factor. So they have hyped up the motorcycle jump quite a bit. I, I kind of wish they hadn't. I, shown I it know. Just, yeah, I know. Same. It would have hit a little more if we hadn't seen it forty five million times. Yeah, in the trailer. So. I know. I, I and and if we didn't know that he was so. Well, yeah, we'll get into it in spoilers. Yeah. But you're like, there was a way for that to have been the biggest holy shit moment in the movie. But because we all knew it existed, it definitely it was like it was cool, but it wasn't the thing we were talking about. Right, walking mm-hmm. away. right, for sure. Dalton Stewart, what did you think of the film? It was all right. Is that right? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I, it's definitely the weakest Christopher McQuarrie one, for sure. Uh, you know, the, this methodology they've come up with, Cruz McQuarrie, for, you know, kind of reverse engineering the films from the set pieces has worked out so far. But I think this is the first one where that sort of find the story of the movie second philosophies kind of bit them in the ass. It doesn't. I, why is this a two part movie? I don't I, I need more. I need to know more about. The entity, I need it to be called something other than the entity. Yeah, it's a terrible name. Uh, I need more from Gabriel. I need less retcons. I need, you know, I don't need new backstory. I, I just, there's a lot of missteps here that don't really work for me. Uh, the train stuff's sick. Yeah. Motorcycle jump is sick. Yep. Uh, this back alley close quarters fight scene is really sick. Uh, I'm with you, Chelsea. I think that car chase goes on a little too long and like is kind of, I'm not sure about the tone on this one. I, I'm not you know, joyless, you know, I think some of the laughs are fine, but I, I, it is definitely a, a swerve from the previous two entries. Um, and I'm not sure that this sort of MCU chat ba- banter like fits in this, this franchise quite, quite as clean. Definitely as wanted to. not the last two entry compared to the last two entries. If it was after the mm-hmm. fourth one, I would say that yeah. it, it makes more sense. Sure. And 
you know, I think screwball is what they're going for, but I don't know that they get all the way there. I think when Cruz and Atwell are really, you know, jumping off uh, each other, you know, back and forth, I think that kind of works. Again, it's it's the element of the car chase that maybe works the best is that one of them can't drive super well and mm-hmm. is like, no, quit making me be in this car chase. Like, mm-hmm. that's a funny gag and like an, an interesting complication to the action scene. But there, there is definitely a a tonal disparity that doesn't quite work for me throughout this. Um, and yeah, again, uh, the Ilsa decisions I'm not sure about. Yeah. A couple of creative decisions that I'm just kind of crinkling my eyebrows on. Yeah. More in spoilers on that. Sure. Because I think there's some real world mechanics at play. There is my theory. I mm-hmm. think you might be right about that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, a fun movie to be sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, interesting that this is one of the most expensive movies ever made. Uh, cause it doesn't look as expensive as fallout weirdly. Yeah, I th- I think it's all COVID, man. Yeah, I think COVID impacted this movie and the production of this movie more than we would like to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here's the thing: I I think this movie's great. I don't think it's as good. And I had to, initially, I was like, oh, it's kind of on par. But uh, as I've thought about it, I think Fallout's a masterpiece, and I don't use that lightly. But that, I mean, I just rewatched it before this one, and I was like, this movie, like, I, there's not a dull moment. The laughs work. The like everything about it. So coming off of that movie, this movie's definitely got more problems. It's a little clunky. I I actually thought it was the the first act where where I felt like the like took me a while to get going. There's a Mm -hmm. there's an airport sequence which I think, while not being very action heavy, is baller. It's really fun. Super enjoyed that. But everything up until that point was a lot of exposition, which I'm game for. It's just the the I think even the way they the order in which they deliver it. It's just a lot of talking scenes back to back to back in all sorts of weird places. Again, I think some of those weird places have to do with COVID. There's like a lot of scenes of uh, Tom Cruise, like Luther, Ethan and Benji all just sitting in like a what seems like a giant closet or something. You know, it's uh, there's some weird stuff like that that, that I, I don't love. But I I will say I can't wait to see the second time. Yeah. I'll put it that way, um, because I do think the, the action beats are as good as they've ever been, especially the train sequence. And I actually think uh, this is a great part one. Unlike most of the part ones we've seen, like this is one where I feel like <clears throat> if you just watch this movie. Yeah, there's there's clearly more story, but also I don't feel like we're literally just ending in the middle of the train sequence or something, you know? For me, I think it's just with the editing and the pacing, it seems like just the ratio between exposition and action is, it's not, it's not even. And then that's what's happened. I think everything that's here is fine. It's just the, the, the order in that it's in, like you said, it's like we get three talking scenes before we go back to the action scene that that's actively happening. Oh yeah, I forgot they're still running, they're still chasing, and it's like you know what I mean. It's like so instead and, of staying in the action, well, and a lot of the talking scenes too are about abstract things, which again right. I'm all game for. I'm I'm not opposed to that, yeah. but it's just it adds a layer of complexity it's, to like the way I'm processing the information. It ver- stalls the momentum, yeah. of mm-hmm. the of the tension that's yeah. going on in, outside of it, and so which is interesting because I feel like. When this movie first gets going, and I'll try to be as vague on plot as I can, uh, but we get an early scene where Kittredge is sort of laying out the stakes of the film to Ethan Hunt and is kind of like letting him know like what the ball game is and what a sentient AI could mean for the world. Right. And they're doing the scene and they keep jumping the line when they're cutting back and forth between the two of them in this conversation scene. And it's really kind of a cool filmmaking choice to like have the dialogue be about truth being malleable and, and reality being unknowable. And while they're doing that, they're breaking all kinds of filmmaking rules and keeping your, mm-hmm. you kind of like on your toes as this dialogue scene is happening. And 
the exposition dumps are never as exciting as that. For like, yeah, there's not a yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a scene in the club where the only way they can find to like increase the tension of the scene is to just like further and further camp the Dutch angles. Like, yeah, just really yeah a lot of Dutch angles. And I'm just yeah. like, this is an intense standoff with like multiple parties involved, mm-hmm. multiple like um, motivations at the table. And they're just, they can't quite like make that scene feel as intense as it needs to, especially yeah. compared to a similar scene in, in John Wick 4 uh, from yeah. earlier. And that's, mm, yeah. this film really suffers in comparison from for John mm-hmm. Wick 4 a little bit for me. They're different. Like, they do, they are different. I don't like comparing them, but the, it it is, it, you know, that's the thing about John Wick. There's only four of those, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think with every single one of those, they've gotten better with each entry, at least with in terms of the action and the mm-hmm. spectacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mission Impossible here, I, I feel like it's z- – and the, the thing about John Wick is the story is so minor. Like I think the story in Mission Impossible has a much bigger role than it does in John Wick. For sure. And this definitely feels like it's more – it's a step down slightly from the exceptional previous two movies. Mm-hmm. But because it's a step down compared to John Wick where it's always a step up, it definitely feels like it's at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. It's tough. I, I want to talk about the stunts a little bit, but I, I actually thought, again – the, the motorcycle was the thing that was hyped the most, but I think my two favorite sequences were the airport and then the train. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people on the show have probably heard me mention the Uncharted game several times and why I was concerned about an Uncharted movie. I was like, listen, Uncharted games are based off of Indiana Jones movies and the way they've been able to amp up th- those type of set pieces in a video game would be very hard to do on the big screen. And the Uncharted movie absolutely did not do that. This movie, I was literally watching it. I was like, oh, this is Uncharted 2. This is the trains falling apart and they're trying to climb up it and not die. And it felt, I felt the same sense of like stress that I had never felt in a train sequence in a film before. So I thought they nailed it. I mean, what did you guys think about the the action set pieces, Laurent? Uh, similarly, those are those are probably the two best. I mean, I, I was anticipating the, the the cliffhanger thing, the cliff jump scene, and that that obviously is it's great. But it, like you said, because we've seen it, the all of it, it wasn't quite wasn't quite there. Like, okay, we've already seen it, so we already felt that gasp of him going over it. Then they show us how it's done, which mm-hmm. I think was maybe a mistake. You know, maybe it hyped us up to go see it, so maybe it wasn't. You know, but I think in terms of the experience of watching the movie it was a mistake because now we know how it was done we saw you know so it kind of sucked the wind out of it but or if they if they had put the motorcycle jump at the very beginning of the movie i think it would work better as well versus the, again we because this literally doesn't show up until the end of, towards the third act and yeah. you're like the whole time you're just waiting for him right. and there's a whole moment when you see him doing a thing where you're like oh we know, but we, the audience, know what he's ultimately going to do, gonna but do. he doesn't know what he's going to do. I don't right, know. Right. I just think it, yeah. rob- it robbed the tension a little bit. A, a little because, bit of yeah, that, yeah. yeah. But yeah. the train sequence, like you said, is money. You know, like I just, it, as each one went down, I was like, oh, God, okay. So I was genuinely stressed. So, I mean, that mm-hmm. I haven't felt that way in an action movie where the stakes were. Like, even though I know it's Mission Impossible and theoretically everyone's going to survive here, you know, I'm still like gasping you know so i thought that was a, a huge accomplishment i definitely it's funny this this sequence in the movie we're talking about this kind of final stretch was the moment where the runtime did finally like hit me because i i, I was pretty keyed in and locked into the film for most of the strat most of its, its runtime but that last stretch i caught myself kind of gaming out like okay well the jump hasn't happened yet and that's how he's going to get on the train and then something's <laughs> going to happen on the train that leads to the whole like them climbing up the falling tree so i was kind of like gaming out like what the rest of the movie was going to look like mm-hmm. and that's never a good sign yeah. um so yeah. but again i i, I I, I like the jump, but I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I do wonder if, if we didn't lose something in the, the run up, like 
they add so many CGI elements to the jump that it's honestly a more impressive stunt just seeing like what they did to make yeah. that, you know, just seeing them go off the ramp that they built and, and yeah, you know, I they saw added all these like digital clouds and like other kind of yeah. weather elements to like make it look, I don't know, prettier. I don't know what they were going for, but it just kind of like muddies up the image a little bit and kind of, I don't know, takes away from how impressive the stunt is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for you know, for Tom Cruise having dr- killed seven motorcycles, uh, you know, to film this, <laughs> it's just one of those things where you're like, and I hate saying this because I feel like again, if we had no idea it was there and it was, you know, I think we would felt differently. But it's like, was it worth it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But it, I mean, it was still cool. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Chelsea, what did you think of the stunts? I think they were great. I think my favorite was the alley scene. Just, I think Palm just brings so, so much cool. like feral energy yeah, to dude. that. And the, I mean, the earlier car chase with her, I mean, she's not even, she doesn't even have like any lines. She's just in like the cackling whole movie. though. Yeah. Yes. I'm always like, oh my God, she's, yeah, that was perfect. Um, I don't think that they, especially with the big, the big one, the big mm-hmm. stunt, I don't think that they topped, especially like the Rogue Nation one where he's hanging off the side of the plane. Totally. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I just don't know if that one can, I mean, he's hanging on by a rope, one, one rope. Or obviously Mission Impossible Four, where he climbs the uh, the Burj Khalifa. Burj Khalifa, Khalifa yeah. yeah. Um, a, I don't think they're ever going to top that one, honestly. In six years, he taught himself how to fly a helicopter. Helicopter, yeah, yeah, that like yeah. a crazy person. And they're like close, yeah. That was I. I don't think that they've topped the in terms of the big one. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this topped the other ones yet. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I actually think the train is way more impressive than the jump, yeah. honestly. Yeah, uh, and they yeah. did they did in fact uh, destroy. Uh, they, well, okay, firstly they built that train themselves because apparently they couldn't find a train that was available that met the specifications they need. So they actually built the train that they then destroyed and blew up part of a bridge that I guess was going to get demolished or something. I did a lot of reading on it, and there was a whole it was a whole thing in Europe. They were like, "Oh, we're going to let him destroy this bridge," but the government was already planning to destroy the bridge. I don't know. So anyway, they blew up <laughs> oh, man. part of a historic bridge to film the the sequence. So, uh, and that one I just thought was way more intense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's freaking cooking oil sliding around. I'm like, Dude, "Oh god." That's so cool. That is yeah. like the the funnest part of it is like the the increasing stakes of it. Like each car they go through yep. is like more dangerous. Yep. Like yeah. just a, a worse situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's and so it cool. could have easily just been the same car yeah, three yeah. times. Then it would have felt repetitive, but yeah. it's like, "Oh god, this it's like each it's like a video a game. Challenge. Like each yeah. each chamber has something a new element at it. <laughs> like you said, cooking grease sliding around while mm-hmm. you're falling off of a cliff. It's and like, there's a Jesus. piano in one of them and you're like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> and I'm like, "If this girl doesn't jump." She's like, "You're thinking about you want to get you want to get clobbered by (laughs) (laughs) but a great sequence what a great sequence um okay i've already i've already uh shown my hand i think this is a great part one um again i felt like good clear beginning middle and end also sets up for the next one without it robbing the story what did you guys think of the way they where they break it does this work as its own movie uh dalton i'll start with you i guess it falls somewhere between dune and spider verse 2 probably is in terms of like how effectively does it set up one half of a two part movie? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dune's the gold standard for how you do that. You know, uh, it, and, and again, that's a film that people talk about not quite feeling like a complete film, but I, I feel like that ends on such a, you know, a, a, an interesting note. It, you, you're so excited for what comes next when that film wraps. Yeah. And then again, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the book, so I might, you know, be a little biased here just cause I know where it's going. But it's it's such kind of a, an interesting place to put us. You know, he's he's joined the Fremen, and this is his new life, and his old life has blown up behind him, and and here's the next journey that comes. And with this, you know, we 
Tom's got the thing he needs. He's been chasing the whole movie, but now he needs to figure out what that MacGuffin, what MacGuffin that MacGuffin is going to be used for. And I, you know, but nobody says you become a villain if your hero cop father gets murdered. So like probably stronger than that other movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not taking swings at spider verse. We, we spent uh, listeners. If you haven't caught it uh, in Dalton, we spent a very extensive amount of time talking about why the spider verse is not a complete movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we feel, we I, feel I did pain. just take an errant swing at him. Didn't I? You sure <laughs> did. It's okay. We loved it, but also not a complete movie. Uh, LaRon Chapman, how did this work as a part one part two for you? I think this, this, this worked well for me. Like it doesn't, uh, it does, it ends abruptly, but it doesn't end in the abruptly in the middle of a sentence. Like mm-hmm. some of the other ones that we mentioned. Like Fast X. <laughs> like Fast X, like literally Fast X probably had what I say, I still say it has 30, 40 minutes left. Yeah. You know what I mean? They could have, it, it, they don't have a whole movie left, but we'll see. Um, you know, like, and then end of the, end of the spider, I mean the, the sequel, I felt like that one, um, it was a, there was a great part one in that one. There's 20 minutes that didn't need to be tacked onto the bottom of that one that could have been left and saved for the next film, I, think I so felt right. like. Yeah, I so right. that's the only thing. I mean, what they showed us is great, but I was like, the momentum felt weird. And, and yeah, there's that like awkward. that last 20 minutes where you're like, where am I in the movie right like, now? I thought we were ending and now it feels like the, it's a rising action and then you cut, then it feels odd. You know, it's like it, we didn't need that. They just like they didn't have faith that we were going to come back for the next one. But obviously this was great. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one, I mean, I feel like there's enough of a movie that we see in this um, nearly three hour film. And I guess there's enough plot because there's three disparate parts here. We got the, you know, the submarine, we got the, you know, the villain and then he has, and then Nathan has the key. So, I mean, there's enough here, you know, for another movie, but you know, um, are they going to be able to top the stunts in the one we just watched? I don't know, you know, because now I don't know what else you could do, you know, like, so well, see, I love it. I they mean, had, I love that they haven't talked about it yet. You know, yeah. I'm I, I, obviously it would take away from part one to say, mm-hmm. Oh, but we got cooler stuff in part two, but because they, I'm actually the fact that they haven't told us what they're doing in part two yet or plan to do, uh, that excites me. I mean, presumably yeah. some Navy seal nonsense like Kate Winslet did, right? Oh, yeah. Like Tom's going to take the chance to hold his breath for 30 minutes if oh, he yeah. can. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He will. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to, he saw avatar too. And he's like, yeah. I, he's I gotta gonna do ride a killer doing whale. all kinds of weird diaphragm <laughs> exercises. <laughs> <laughs> stretching his lung capacity. <laughs> uh, I can't wait. Uh, Chelsea, how well did this work for you as a uh, part one, part two? I think it worked perfectly fine. I think it was a very log- like logical, like, okay, we've achieved the thing that we need to go to the next point. I don't think it, and it stopped anywhere that it mm-hmm. needed to stop. It set up everything perfectly. I think we're good. Mm-hmm. I think where one character's journey ends is like really exciting too. You know, if I, without, you know, keeping oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah i think yeah i got you there's yeah. A, yeah i think i think you're not on the same page yeah there's a certain character that i think the end word ends you're like oh yeah it's exciting it's gonna go for the next like, one they, they get a, they get a real arc and like yeah it's exciting stuff set up for the next one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i'm excited also we didn't even mention uh kid rich is back from the first movie uh, i did i didn't rewatch all of them in the lead up but i did watch one five and six and uh it was just great to see him back and his antics of being like but the old version where he's like oh i'm s- this is what it's like to work with Ethan Hunt for 27 years. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm exhausted, but yeah, whatever. It, yeah, just nice, nice touches like that. I feel like this is a, very much like in a conversation with the first one. Well, without just replicating mm-hmm. it, there's a train sequence at the end. Some of the same characters. There's a lot of overlap for fan, longtime fans. All right, well, we've gotten to letter grades because we're going to save the real meaty stuff for the spoiler section. What letter grade would you give Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, Laron Chapman? You know, I mean. Uh, Minor gripes aside, this was still a really thrilling summer blockbuster that 
that we keep asking for these kinds of movies to be produced again. And I think that, ironically, the two best ones come out in the last two years have featured Tom Cruise, you know, so um, in terms of stunts and in terms of crowd pleasing, you know, so um, I'm giving this a B plus, you know, I think I had a good time, a good enough time with it. Um, I think it's maybe I won't say middle of the pack. I'd say it's a little on the higher end of that, you know, so um, I had a good time with it. Um, so, yeah, I think a solid B plus. It's not quite penetrating the threshold of of perfection, but I thought it was fun. Very, very uh, above par above summer blockbuster par, yeah. entertainment. Chelsea? I think that um, I kind of want to just give it an A. I felt, you know, I think that they're bringing everything full circle. So I think I've probably established I'm a big nostalgia girl. Mm-hmm. So I love seeing all the callbacks. We're clearly bringing it. Full circle for Ethan. The you know the set pieces were amazing. The action was amazing. I it was just it was thrilling the whole time. Honestly, I was just yeah. ready to get to the next piece. Oh man, I love that the the, the uh, entity he hates to hear this. He hates <laughs> to hear it. Uh, Dalton Stewart, what letter grade would you give this movie? It could be like a solid B. B. No minus, no plus. You know, it uh, above average. I you know I'm Cruz Macquarie like are committed to doing as much of it real as they can, and that that does really benefit the film in a huge way. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's doing it like this. Uh, well, that's not true. Very few people are doing it like this. Uh, and it, that commitment, like that does show up on screen, even if not every element totally works for me. Uh, you know, that commitment to doing as many stunts as real as they possibly can, you know, trying to keep while keeping things safe. Like I, I love that kind of stuff. Mm. I, I love that they're still pushing to make it happen. Yeah. That they have, they have, again, they're, they're using their wealth and Hollywood influence to make movies like this. Cause I mean, Tom Cruise could have, chosen a totally different career path for himself but uh he doubled down on being a uh evil knievel of cinema so you know <laughs> um i'm gonna go a minus i i do have some quibbles mostly with the pacing it probably is a little too long i am and i will say i really wish i'd had time to see this a second time um to see because that's when i really can get a sense for the pacing issues i'm like i feel you yeah uh so i didn't I, I will say upon first watch i feel like it's not pay it's not as tight as the previous i mean frankly most of the other movies um but i still at the end of the day it's delivering spectacle I mean, that we just don't see on the big screen outside of these movies very often because John Wick is doing a thing that's different. It's similar, but very different than this. Much more focused on choreography. Yes, for sure. fight choreography. Yeah. It's almost like ballet. Yeah. In mm-hmm. the, whereas this is definitely stunts, uh, like full-blown, big, bad stunts, like and, and trying to make an old, kind of like old-school Hollywood movie, but with the modern sensibilities and technology we have without – relying too much on technology to do the the human part. I don't know. It's it's really unique. I'm I'm glad we're getting them, you know, again, especially if you compare it to Fast X. Frankly, by the way, uh don't rewatch Fast X, but there's a lot of overlap and oh no, Chelsea just gave me the head turn. It's it's uh <laughs> These, these movies both have set pieces, major set pieces in Rome. There's a lot of overlap and you can just see the difference in how filmmakers do the same type of thing. Mm. And it's just this is so much better. Yeah. The action's so much, and I like Fast and Furious, but this is so much better exactly. than what we got there. Um, so yeah, A minus. I think this is above par. Not the best, but whenever you know you make A plus movies, A minus is still pretty solid. Yeah. For the record, Chelsea is shaking her head for the audiences they're listening. So just know she does not agree. Chelsea, <laughs> the Fast Ten hate. Like what? I mean, I didn't hate it. I just you know, I mean, life's too short. 
bless you, short. Okay. Uh, what other recommendations would we suggest to folks? Uh, movie, television, novels, music, video games, other media recommendations. Clearly, Chelsea thinks we should recommend Fast and Furious movies uh, for <laughs> listeners. So, Chelsea, why don't you kick us off here? Fast X. No. Um, <laughs> I went with The Man from Uncle. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, your action-y movie based off of a... TV, little bit older TV series, so I I think that movie didn't quite get um, the love and appreciation that it deserves. Cast members aside, um, yes, Man from Uncle, just great movie, love it, watch it, enjoy it. It's super fun. I'll sit and mention. I, I I know it was for sure that he was not coming back. Uh, if you've watched the end of Mission Impossible Fall, but I will say. There was no character that lived up to Henry Cavill. Like that was a void that was definitely not filled it, for sure. Nobody it, it, can. Nobody Henry can. Cavill. Not that mustache. <laughs> Come on. Reloading uh, them hands. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was missing that element. Um, and again, he was always a one uh, film character, but I definitely missed the, the energy he brought to that last yeah. one. Yeah. LeBron Chapman, what would you recommend to listeners? You know, I recently rewatched this. Uh, I guess it's more than a trilogy, but um, is the Born the Born uh, trilogy? I really enjoy those. The first spots. three are the only ones that matter. Let's first, that's true. Okay, yeah. cool. Then, yeah, the trilogy. Uh, I love all three of those. I think that they each one gets better. Then I think the third one's the best. The best entry. So, um, dealing with again impossible stakes, one man versus an entire system, and I think that um, they have aged very well. Um, all three of them still still have a really great, concise and um, an impactful, you know, um, uh, vibe to them. So. All right. Yeah. Born. Uh, it's good to hear those have aged well. I was always I was somewhat worried they would feel very George W. Bush era politics type thing. <laughs> I mean, I can't say that that's not there, but I think the emotional stakes and the uh, the the tension is still there. So I, I even on rewatch, I, I'm. Greg had never seen them, so we watched them all. I'm due for a rewatch, and I don't own them at all, so that means naturally I need to buy them on 4K to watch them. Absolutely. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Dalton Stewart, what would you recommend to listeners? Well, you were just talking about the different directions Cruz uh, could have gone with his career, and and while this is still acting, you know, it, it is much more like physical performance oriented. Uh, so I would say go back earlier in his career at what is kind of like, I think, a key split in the woods, a key fork in the road for him and uh, check out Stanley Kubrick's eyes wide shut. Mm. Watch him. Uh, you know, if you're, if all you know is him being Ethan hunt, the coolest guy in the world, watch him be the biggest dipshit in the world who can't yeah. stop cucking himself in his own mind <laughs> and just like ruining his own life because of his own insecurity. Uh, I wore the wrong shirt. I just bought an eyes wide shut nice. shirt the other day. So nice. would have loved to have that point, that little moment there, but yeah, he's just so good in that. Like, yeah. I don't know. He's, if he's ever been as good as he is in that, He's so incredible. Definitely, they probably got to do some of them in terms of uh, emotional performance. That's uh, that I, and Magnolia. Those yeah, are the two, yeah, those yeah, are the yeah. two cruise performances yeah. I like hinge on. Like, but for sure, I, yeah. he's just you know. I wish he would do it again. I wish he would let somebody like a PTA. Or yeah, obviously, you know, Kubrick's dad. But like, I wish he would let like a bold director really direct him. And mm -hmm. it seems like he's he is at a point in his career where he wants to be uh, the head cook. Yeah, I mean, the first name you see on screen is a Tom Cruise production. Yes. Right. Uh, he, he gets billing above the director. So, I, you know, I think that's where he's at in his career, and that's the kind of stuff he wants to do. But I'd like to see him make some some bold risks. Me too. He's actually a good actor. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that's that's the thing. Is like yeah. Sometimes these films, like, you can even see it. He has that star quality even still mm -hmm. at his age in these action spectacles in a way that, like, Liam Neeson or some of those other who are also still acting in these things, it, you can see the... 
the discrepancy where he still has it, you know, like he's still but, got it, yeah. But yeah, yeah uh, he's well, we forget he also is a bona fide actor, you totally. know. So yeah. I was really partial. I mean, uh, Minority Report's a favorite Spielberg, and I think mm. he's actually good. And I think that's a, that one was really nice because it kind of gave him some some actual acting yeah. to do in yeah. addition to all of the action, physical stunt stuff that he does so well. He's really um, good in that. Yeah. Just so haunted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he wears on his the way, the look on his face when his uh, yeah. yeah yeah it's good stuff. Um, I'm just uh, gonna say it again. Uh, Uncharted video games. If you have a PlayStation three, four, or five, you can access uh, all of them. I would highly recommend you check out Uncharted two as part of the Thieves uh, Thieves Legacy collection. I don't know whatever it is. Uncharted two is the best one. Uncharted four is also very very good. All of them are great, but uh, those are the ones I'd recommend. If you really enjoy the stressful frenetic energy of the train sequence, and you're like, what if I was actually controlling the thing, and it was like that for twenty hours? Those are the Uncharted games, so right. check them out. Highly recommend. Uh, all right, we got to rank the movies before we get into spoilers, though. I mean, we—it's it's, not—we're not, a, we're not re- reviewing an IP if we're not ranking things. So, uh, Dalton Stewart, I'll throw it back to you. Start us off here. How would you rank the Mission okay. Impossible movies? Give me a second. Okay, we got to go. We got to go to the deep places. All right, Fallout number one with a bullet. Uh, and you know what? Fuck it, Rogue Nation right under that. Get it, Chris Christopher McQuarrie. Number three, we're gonna go ahead and say the first one. Get it, De Palma. Uh, that CIA break in is so cool. The mm-hmm. the smallest action piece set pieces of the franchise, but like a real a real corker, like a good spy movie, just really solid. Uh, boom, Mission Impossible three, one of the weaker ones, really. But come on, my boy, Philip. Oh, see what I'm saying? You know, wife, girlfriend, <laughs> fucking incredible, man. Uh, then Ghost Protocol, then two. That okay. feels right. Wait, 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 but Dead Reckoning Part One. Oh, I left out Dead Reckoning Part One. Okay, yeah. so go ahead and put in Dead Reckoning just above Ghost Protocol. Uh, okay. Right underneath three. Above Ghost Protocol, under three. Okay. All right. LeBron Chapman. Man, I've been rethinking this this whole time I've been sitting here, but you know it's what? It's tough. It's Fallout, a tough one Fallout to rank. is absolutely the first one for me. Rogue Nation's right behind that. Um, you know what? I really like Dead Reckoning. I mean, maybe it won't age as well as time goes on. So I'm going to go ahead and put that in third spot. Um, then I'm putting three because, again, I think it's probably behind two in terms of action stunts and everything is probably the weakest. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. But, um, but, man, like you said, one actor can elevate. We're talking about Jason Momoa, Fast X. One actor mm-hmm. can elevate. A st- you know a film like to higher heights and so I, I will I will rewatch that one for his performance yep. yeah yep, yep. Um, then I'm gonna go uh, original Mission Possible then Ghost Protocol um, and then MI MI2 which even at the time at the young age of, that I was when I saw it didn't like it and it is aged like sour milk. It's yeah, it's aged. That's the one of the, that's the one entry in the franchise I think that has not aged well. It's aged even worse than the the Palma movie from the nineties. It's, it's interesting though. I, Singer Matt Singer uh, from Screen Crush had a fun article when Fallout came out about how like you know everybody poo poos on two, but it does kind of start a lot of the trends that we yeah. associate the franchise with, which mm-hmm. I, I think is interesting. What I think is interesting is that you guys both ranked. Ghost Protocol is so low. That's that's really the one that established the template that we're at right now. You're right. But uh, You're right. I'll start with Chelsea. What do you think? Um, and we actually have a very similar list so far across the board. Okay. Um, I have Fallout, and then we got Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible One. You always got to give the the OG like mm-hmm. top ranking somewhere. Um, and then I have Dead Reckoning, Ghost Protocol Three, and then Two. 
Nice. Okay. So yeah, we are all pretty. Oh, I guess Caleb, where were you at? Um, I'm pretty. Man, I, I've really been stressed about this. I want to. Re- I want to re- uh, reiterate. This is probably one of the hardest uh, franchises to rank personally because I like things. Sturdy. It, they're, yeah. they're all good. Even two that we like to again. It's moments. It's yeah. got he a lot dives going through for the it. air, firing two guns oh, while yeah. there's doves around. Perfect it, John Woo it's stuff. John, it's John <laughs> yeah. Gold. He's got a, some great motorcycle stuff in the second one. That motorcycle fight is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's really cool. Danny Newton, come on. There's yeah. a lot to like there, but overall, it's just kind of. But it's it's not. That's even that movie's not like a disaster or anything. Yeah, it's just, um. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Fallout. I think we're all on the same page. I I really do use the word masterpiece in terms of like just action movies where it, it works and. It, it's better every time I watch it somehow. Um, number two is where I struggle mightily because I think that Rogue Nation's probably a better movie, but um, Ghost Protocol is pretty great. You got I, the one thing Ghost Protocol is missing is a good villain, but they make mm-hmm. up for it with the with climbing the San Khalifa uh, skyscraper. There's some great comedy. It, it's funnier. It directed by Brad Bird. It feels more like a cartoon than than any of them. For me, that kind of works. Uh, it's a little sillier, kind of dig it. Um, so yeah, and I really like the also the break in at the Kremlin is super fun too. That is a fun set piece. Yeah. Um, so I would say, damn, I'll say Rogue Nation. Yes, you couldn't say no to the motorcycle it's, chase. It, well, it's not the you know, frankly, it's actually not the motorcycle chase. It's the freaking opera sequence. That oh, is a yeah. banger, yeah, banger, 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 banger sequence. That's that's the thing. Even though I know Mission Impossible is known for the big action set pieces, but the stuff for the with Macquarie, the, the, it's kind of like the airport sequence in this one. I'm just like, this is just great suspense. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, and as soon as Ferguson shows up, oh, within, yeah. like the first 15 minutes of the movie, so it just good. like, yeah, turns the temperature up. Yeah, so that that that's probably where I put that up. And then, I yeah, I would probably put number one over Ghost Protocol. I, I just want to reiterate, though. Ask me tomorrow. I could say Ghost Protocol mm-hmm. over Rogue Nation because I really have a soft Spartan for that one. So, so yeah, I'm gonna do it again. It's uh, Fallout, then Rogue Nation, then Number One, then Ghost Protocol, then Dead Reckoning, then Three, and then Two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to read it though again. Like it really, they're all really close at the top. Like I like all of them quite a lot, and I I don't. I know I put Dead Reckoning in the lower section, but I, I I think it's pretty great. So, you know, whatever. Great movies. Not a one below three stars, I don't None. think. None. Yeah. No. All of them are at least three-star movies. Yeah. In fact, and I think that's two. I would even put number three. A lot of people rag on it. I think three is even a four-star movie, and it's on my lower part, like lower ranking for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to jump into spoilers for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. So if you don't want to know what happens, go ahead and tune out now. Sir, I urge you not to leave this road. Excuse me. Please. Hunt is uniquely trained and highly motivated. A specialist without equal immune to any countermeasures. There is no secret he cannot extract, no security he cannot breach, no person he cannot become. He has most likely anticipated this very conversation and is waiting to strike in whatever direction we move. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Prime Minister. So much to unpack. Number one question we have to ask ourselves, and this has been kind of, at least on the film internet, been kind of the, the, the joke for at least the last two Mission Impossible movies. Is Tom Cruise, uh, 
are these movies about Ethan Hunt fighting ex fill in the blank? Are they about making or are they about making movies? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause he's, they always they come up with these absurd tasks that they have to do. They have that. They have an impossible uh, mission, which is to satisfy the audiences. And they always figure out a way to do it. Just like Ethan Hunt in the movies. Uh, so, you know, obviously in this one, that means he's fighting a rogue AI, uh, known as the entity, which again is a terrible, awful name for it. A, it would be fine if they didn't say it so many goddamn times. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it's just so interesting that the movie is released the day before the SAG mm-hmm. went on strike with AI being a major part of the, um, reason for the strike. So what is your read on this entry uh, as an analog to making movies. What do you guys think? Laron? Um, well, the movies have always told the future. And by the movies, I mean The Simpsons. <laughs> and true. I, I missed the episode about this. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe it's there and I've just forgotten and it's in the recess of my memory. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's weird. It's timely that, it, that we're dealing with a very similar conflict, like, in real life, you know, um, but it's also not because we're always thinking ahead, you know, even in our subconscious of the kind of horrors that could happen should certain things come into effect. And this just happens to be about AI. And um, it's also weird that we just talked about this in, um, what is it, a Black Mirror touches right. on this. Yep. You know, the first episode, you know, with Salma Hayek, I mean, dealing with the, the literally the, thing. the literal <laughs> premise of what's happening with strike, with the strike. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a world like you said. Is it about this or that? I think it's about both of those those conflicts at the same time. And I think that's the great thing about movies is it could be used for thematic purposes, but could also have a philosophical, you know, commentary as well. And so I think the same was I think it was the same with Top Gun. Also, I mean, there's that whole scene where they're like, he's like, you know, you know, there's a day where that you may no longer need men like me because this is not how you do things. But that day is not today. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is making a stance saying this is we're going to make movies the way we used to because that's the way to do it. Yeah. You know, he's the no matter what superhero movies and AI <laughs> have to say about it. Exactly. You know? He's the he's the Brad Pitt and Babylon character in yeah. real life. You know? <laughs> it's like we're going to keep going until they tell me I absolutely cannot, you know. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's some commentary to be had about both. There definitely can be read as pure entertainment, but there's definitely some philosophical elements that are interesting to kind of lean into in terms of what a sentient AI could mean for, you know, the world, you know? Um, and so I'm, that's a, that's a really interesting thing to kind of chew on, you mm-hmm. know, afterwards. So, and what do you think that there's a human, uh, also just, again, we didn't talk about it, but, uh, the, the fact that the entity is using a character, a human named Gabriel to be his vessel feel the, all the biblical imagery is really fun. I, yeah. I thought that was yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, Dalton, any thoughts on how to read this is about you, making movies? I don't know. You really are making me think about how this movie is about Tom Cruise fighting God. <laughs> he is. Like, yeah. The entity, there's no rules. And I actually kind of like that. So a younger me would have said, I don't like that I have a bad guy where the rules, there are no rules basically. Uh-huh. Uh, but now I love it because I feel like I'm with Tom Cruise. They don't, he doesn't know what he's yeah. up against. It's yeah. Possible. Uh, it definitely, I mean, it's all there, right? Like they have to go to a full analog setup to, uh, you know, not be influenced by the entity uh, by they, I mean like the CIA and mm-hmm. the, the, the elements of the IMF that are tracking Ethan Hunt throughout this mission. Also very cool. Just the imagery of like all the people in the warehouse on the typewriters, yeah, CRT like, monitors. Yeah. And, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. The, the, the image of everybody like making hard copies yeah. of their, before their digital records are, uh, tampered with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely like cool ideas here. And, and I think that's like one of the, film strong suits strong strong points is uh just 
interesting themes, just like a fun, compelling idea. And maybe that idea is not as executed, not executed as well as it could have been. Uh, but definitely an interesting premise for a Mission Impossible villain, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely something they have not done before. And they, you know, it's it's tough because there's big shoes to fill with Sean Harris uh, from Rogue Nation and Fallout. And then, of course, Cavill, who we've already talked about. So going outside of, like, the human element entirely is an interesting direction for this to go. And again, especially with the the filmmaking metaphor kind of hanging over things, it does make it more interesting. Again, the timing could not be... Uh, more serendipitous. It really couldn't mm-hmm. be. Uh, so it's it's interesting, right? I, if, if nothing else, and I think, I don't know, I I was much more compelled by the idea of Ethan Hunt as Tom Cruise standing in Fallout. You know, this this guy who just wants so desperately for people to like him and, and love him <laughs> and will do anything to, to save the people he cares about. And in this case, the, the movie industry and the people that work in it. Um, I, th- I think those themes kind of come through stronger and fallout, even with the the added addition of the this sort of rogue AI, you know, mm-hmm. that's, you know, links up with the, the labor disputes going on right now. I just yeah, it feels stronger and fallout. Yeah. Uh, feel that. Yeah. But I, again, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the AI as a premise. I guess what I'm less intrigued by is like Gabriel as sort of. Yeah. The, we didn't. The ambassador. You, you, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned this before. Uh, well, I think. OK. So I think they have to have somebody. Sure. Because an AI is, again, like God, it could literally be it's yeah. invisible. Right. So there has to be a physical stand in or manifestation of the thing. Right. I, the thing I didn't love about it was the. um Backstory, added backstory. Mm. You mentioned this in your spoiler free alluded to it, but like the retconning of Ethan uh, Hunt's getting pulled into the IMF. Mm. Uh, we don't, I guess it's not technically retconning. It's unfulfilled back, uh, backstory we haven't had filled in before. And I just think that was necessary. Yeah. And it kind of, I don't know, makes you, you said MCUified a little bit. We are like, oh, it's got to be, he's got to have an origin story. Let's talk about that. I don't, yeah. I don't care about that. Yeah, it's it's exactly it's all connected. Yeah, and that's uh, you you mentioned Disneyfying indie earlier, Chelsea, and I. Yeah, that that is sort of that energy hangs over this movie in a real way, and that feels like they're trying to like copy multiple different franchises, not copy, but at the very least, like kind of be influenced by and, and take what works. I read a I read a someone on I think it was Threads or one of the social media platforms. There's too many to keep up with at this point. But I read on social media at one point they're like if this was a Fast and Furious movie they would have had Thandi Newton be the woman who died. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they bring back this character mm-hmm. from a long time ago. Um yeah. instead they just left it ambiguous, which you know maybe we'll find out in the next one, but yeah. uh I also don't really want to see a DH Tom Cruise either. So, you know. No. They did the effect apparently. I, I yeah. read that there there were there were earlier versions where they like and they're like, eh. But yeah. in saying we're fighting, he's fighting against God, as you mentioned that. I mean, is it, have we all been duped? And this is just one big endorsement for Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we all have drank the Kool-Aid and now we're here, guys. No, he's like, but anyway, no. Uh, Chelsea, what did you think about uh, this as a sort of uh, parallel to f- a movie about filmmaking? Um, I think that especially the bit about the entity had to use Gabriel because at the end of the day, it's a computer and it still needs human so ai might take over but it's still gonna need the meat suits yeah Um, (laughs) to make the scientology needs an ape to push a button (laughs) yeah which i mean eventually ai will get to the point potentially where it will replace people especially in like the more creative you know like the more brain oriented industries Mm -hmm. but i think that especially I, i can't remember exactly what he said but um He's talking about how like they 
the entity is able to predict. He's like, I know exactly what will happen tomorrow because it's already run it. It's already told, it's already gone through all of your decisions and this is what will happen. Humans are, they're, they're messy. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It, he, it, I really can't count on what is going to happen happening because especially humans, Ethan. That's why that's why the AI is afraid of Ethan Hunt because mm-hmm. it knows that Ethan Hunt's a total wild card. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I you know I was trying really hard to figure that out what you were saying because I was like, well, the, if the AI has already figured all this out, what's the point? And I did have that thought watching it. And then Luther at the towards the end makes a really good thing. He's like, he's like, no, he knows that this is what you would do, but this is not what you're doing. So yeah. mm-hmm. he's like, he's loved it. that was the, that was one of the monologues I thought was really yes. well done. Yes, and it had some weight to it. Exactly. You know, like I are now when you see him, what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because remember, like, like if you're doing all of this, it's gonna be all for naught if we stick to emotion. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. adds a really interesting conflict, you know, yeah. human conflict, you know, along with. And it's banking space. on it's like if you you're either you're going to die trying to get on this train or if you get on the train successfully, you're going to kill this guy. Right. It's banking on that, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just like, oh, wow. So yeah. you your mission is to not do that yeah. thing that it knows you will yeah, do that you will do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just a fun complication for the story because so much of these movies are like the heisty element of them pulling off some, you know, some crazy disguise or getaway. And like the idea that the villain can predict their clever scheme is just like a fun complication for these movies to have seven entries in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that just going back to the, the humans are messy part. Mm-hmm. I think that that's where Hollywood is going to mess up. Because they're going to be using these AIs to make these perfect movies, but they're not going to connect with the audiences because it's right. the messy, it's the emotional nature, and like you're going to see these movies tank because it's been, it was perfect on paper. I mean, it's like that we saw the AI version. There's been AI versions of Wes Anderson films made, and you mm-hmm. know they're not going to feel like like what an AI could never make Asteroid City. It could mimic it, but it's never going. It, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not got the human element. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have that cognitive ability. Well, it's also that, that debate versus like practical effects versus visual effects and how like the practical effects always have more weight to them, you know, and we have that we see it in like what is it, like Mad Max. It just it that movie is gonna age beautifully because of how they, they did take the time to the taxing time to make all of those stunts mm-hmm. have look feel have substance and something tangible. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the remake to like the thing you know what I mean? With oh, yeah. uh, Mary Elizabeth Winston, like, I mean, like, even though they recreated certain scenes, it, it looks shitty because it's like that's that technology is going to age just two years after that movie mm-hmm. releases. And so, um, yeah, so there's, there's just that element of like, you know, when you put in that human element, that 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 craft that only can be created by human hands and human minds and human thoughts, that that's going to be, you know a crossroads for us because like movies are going to feel empty and devoid of emotion. You know, if we start going this route where we don't need that human element, those mm-hmm. actors in it. So. Well, what's the point? But the, like I, my genuine question is what's the actual point? Yeah. Output. Yeah. Output. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I know content. Yeah. I got it. Mm-hmm. I, I, Money get it. I, mean, I know that, but I mean, you're right though. People aren't going to like, like if, if, if the whole point of movies is people telling stories about people. Mm-hmm. And if it's an AI telling stories about people, it's missing the things. And why would people watch that? Right. You know, you, you hear people be like, all I want is another Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman movie. And it does make you think there is a like portion of the film going populace that would be fine with their AI slop. That's true. And it's very depressing. Yeah, it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause a group will watch that. That's the thing is if they can, remove all of the of what they're going to have to pay for in terms of salaries and everything like that. Um, there's still going to be an audience that will keep that 
that you know that group alive. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, where were they for the Flash? You know, for example, if we're using yeah, that example, yeah, fifty-five yeah. million dollars worth of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, mean, I guess but, if it's cheaper to make, I guess it won't matter. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're not paying the millions of dollars to the actors, so we'll still have content. It'll be shitty, and people will go watch it. But they're also not paying all this. So it's like it's going to be a lot cheaper to make and produce. And at some point, all of us will just be sitting here like that's why I think that we wield the power. Honestly, you yes, know what I mean to reverse this. So, I mean, as much as I'm like, I love watching shit and as much as I'm going to go to Barbenheimer this next week, but I think you said, I'm thinking of everyone else that worked on those, those films, Mm -hmm. not the big machine that's going to benefit the most from it. Um, But like our streaming services, that's one way. I mean, we all collectively did that at once. They might get their attention. You know what I mean? Because they can't make money without, you know, those subscribers. And so... I think at some point the strike is going to it's going to be incumbent upon us to get involved with it too if it doesn't go the way that we need it to for the writers and the actors. That's well the next phase, I would say, is our input, you know, for our, sure. contr- our contribution. And if they're not making content, it's not going to fucking matter because we're not watching anything because nothing new is going to come out. So we can actually stand to lose those streaming services for a year. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just to absolutely. let them see how much money they could lose if collectively as a body, like we decide that we're not going to let that happen. Well, I mean, you know, what's going to happen when people find out they can't get their next season of uh, Game of Thrones or whatever the popular, whatever the most popular show is. I don't know. Um, Yellowstone. Yeah. Huh? Yellowstone. 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 <laughs> That's the one. We've talked about Elsa a little bit. So this is actually a big pain point for a lot of people. I think all of us at the table to a certain degree. Uh, this film has a lot of legacy characters in it. Uh, what did you guys think about the inclusion of the legacy characters? We'll start with Ilsa Faust, though, because her death was definitely shocking, especially with this being a Macquarie joint. Him killing her was not ready for that, I will it's say. less shocking as soon as they, like, confirm romance between Ethan Hutt and Ilsa. Mm. Uh, and then it seems like, to be well, his biggest weakness in yeah. every film. And it's, I don't know, it's just uninteresting. Like, part of what's been compelling about that relationship for the last two movies is that there is like a certain amount of sexual tension, right. but it's like unresolved. They, right. they both have their own baggages that kind of prevents them from getting close to one another. And that's been a, a compelling, you know, tension point in the the relationship between these two characters throughout Rogue Nation and Fallout. And like, you know, Ilsa's shifting alliances and inability to get out of the game clean. Like mm-hmm. all that stuff has made her like an exciting character, like a really cool in- addition to the franchise. And uh, while her fight with the Cy Morales is cool, like, cool kind of do, like, you know, mm-hmm. and Rebecca Ferguson's busy with other stuff, obviously. It does feel like they do that character dirty a little bit to try. You know, if Haley Atwell wasn't two years older than Rebecca Ferguson, you could accuse the movie of, like, having Tom Cruise trade in for a younger model. I think Tom Cruise definitely has a type if you're looking at the history of the women in his movies. <laughs> He's really into brunettes of a certain age range. I'll just put it that way. And it is kind of, it feels kind of icky when you start to see the pattern throughout all the movies. So, uh, yeah, you could, you could accuse him of that. You could, you could accuse him of that. I, I really don't want to get into it because I think that, that that's a lot of speculation, but it is, it, it's well, hard to, don't. if once you see it, it's kind of hard to not see, oh, Okay, he's so we're, we're losing this brunette uh, for this other brunette who just showed up in this movie. Who yeah. he also happens to have a kind of a romantic uh, tension with, you but, know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to alarm anybody, but I just showed Chelsea like my phone just did an update and it says Hollywood Reporter all the Mission Impossible movies ranked, including Dead Reckoning. <laughs> it's as if the AI is already <laughs> taking effect. They predict the future. We're already. Laron, there's ten years of me podcasting on the internet. Oh. I could be an AI creation right now. Yeah, oh, no, he literally he could oh, be man. there. Are, 
AI podcasts. I've listened to a couple, and they yeah, are weird, weird, but close enough that I'm like, oh, someone's gonna try to to turn yeah. like an AI podcast into a thing. Into yeah. a thing. Yeah. Oh, it's Oof. weird. I don't like it. I don't like no, it. no, no, no. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what did you guys think? Chelsea, I know you were pretty upset about how they handled uh, Ilsa Faust. I mean, uh, elaborate here. Like you said, like we, they finally like confirmed some legitimate romantic mm-hmm. connection here in You're Gonna Refrigerator. Yeah, man. And re- immediately. And w- with her replacement standing over her dead body, like, okay. Yeah. Fine, I guess. But yeah, that was just, it was just icky. Also, how'd she get Palm Clementif's sword? How'd that happen? Was, and also, she was known as a deadly sniper, and she pulled out a sword. I mean, it was a cool moment. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's but, sick. But uh, yeah, I, I was not expecting that to be the way she would go. Yeah. It was cool looking. Yeah. But yeah. Her with the eye patch in the desert. Oh, that sick. Was cool. so sick. Yeah. 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 And especially, I mean, she was the character they'd most really set up as Ethan's equal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. I honestly thought they were going to spin spin her off at some point, mm-hmm. frankly, or have her take the lead. I don't know. And she was that. That was how good she was in the role. Just Which, so I present. mean, they did fake her death earlier in the movie, so it could be. A fake out. Well, you know, no, a lot of people have noted how little Tom Cruise or Ethan Hunt warns her in this movie uh, as if she might still be alive. There might be a review on the next one that she's. That would be a cool. I would be down for I'd that. I'd be down for that. Yeah. yeah. I, and I'm not normally the guy who's down for that, but in this case where you're like, oh, man. Mm. Assuming her schedule permits and right. everything, and this isn't actually a real world mm. situation affecting the. Well, yeah, because I know for the, my understanding was I think the COVID shutdowns actually impacted her so her availability. So she had Dune Part 2 to film and also Silo, um, Silo um, oh, yeah. making her availability significantly less. So mm. I, I do seriously wonder if that impacted if that's yeah. why they decided to write her out yeah and assuming she doesn't return it does feel like that it feels like the decision because it doesn't doesn't really make sense creatively to me to this mm-hmm. to the narrative not at all so I, I don't I can't see a reason for them to do that to her character here um unless their their hands were tied and so. I mean yeah career-wise it makes sense because Ferguson's hot shit I mean, oh, she's yeah. had a oh, lot yeah. going on oh, yeah. since Rogue Nation. Yeah. And Haley Atwell has had less going on since the Captain America movies. That's, so that's, that's it, it is kind of, it does make me wonder if, yeah, if there's not a, this actor is a little bit cheaper at the moment and a little bit easier to hold on to as mm-hmm. far as like making sure they, they're available for shooting. And yeah. Tom approves. So, you know. Well, hey, what'd you guys think of Kitteridge? Any other thoughts on the legacy character? The White Widow. Uh, I didn't realize she was going to be in this movie. So that was great to see her back. Also, apparently related to the uh, character from the first one, Max. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They confirmed that in the first. Did uh, they really? And last time? Oh, man. I totally missed out on that. And yeah. I've seen Fallout. Oh, that's great. What yeah. a nice touch. Yeah. So when it, or she sits down with Kitteridge and he was all like, yeah, I knew your mom or whatever. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. That's cool. No, I really like the Kittredge um, uh, edition because it, it really like it's not one of those those shameless like cameos. They actually utilize him in the plot. Mm-hmm. He actually is there. Um, he actually, I mean, he gives him the whole the whole catalyst for the whole issue. And so um, it's nice to see him back in that sense. And there's also an, an element of tension of how much we can actually trust, trust him, him. Totally. as well. Yep. I mean, it's literally in the script too. At the end, it was like Ethan said, "I can trust you," and he's like, "Did he?" Yeah. <laughs> So are we? You know, well, especially like, after the first movie, where the, the whole time it's clear that they don't yeah. trust each other. You know, right, um, right. I, I'm wondering uh, with the the Kitteridge character, were you guys? Did you guys uh, know? Like, were you pretty sure he was going to be the buyer? Because I, I will say that moment took me by the surprise. I was trying to figure mm. out. I was like, who's the buyer going to be? I figured it would be Kittredge. I was surprised when they brought back Carrie Ellis as yeah. the director of national intelligence. I, when that character came back, that was honestly more surprising. I was like, oh, okay, he's which, still around. Wait, which one is was he in? 
Uh, he's in Rogue. Uh, 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 I just mean like from the early scenes in. Oh like, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of the movie. Yeah, that was surprising to me. I was yeah. very surprised to see him killed so quickly. I was because I was I, I didn't know he was in the movie either. So I was like, oh, okay, who is this here? Great, and he had a very eccentric kind of character that he's he was playing and doing the, a Metal Gear Solid voice. Yes, yes. Yes, it was great. I'm glad I'm not the only one who noticed. He <laughs> felt like a Metal Gear Solid character, hardcore. Totally. Well, um, I mean, that, that, that whole, whole sequence in the beginning felt like right ahead of a Metal Gear Solid game. And I guess I wish the movie had more of that juice. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because I thought that was... So, to some people, you would say that was a very clunky way to deliver lots of expo- uh, exposition, but it really felt of that vein. Totally. You're like, this is a video game cutscene, mm-hmm. and, and it was great. I loved it. I don't know. Did we see... Is he dead for sure? Do we know? Is he super dead? Carrie Apples? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does hell. Okay, he's he dead. He throat slit. Yeah, he's done. Uh, he's done. Okay. <laughs> All right. Damn. Damn. I'm curious what happens with Kittredge, though. I, yeah. Like, I like they found a way. They keep finding a way to make the idea of Ethan Hunt going rogue plausible within the plot. <laughs> every Sub- single Every time. time. Disavowed in every single movie. <laughs> every movie. But somehow, like, the idea of, like, the IMF being who they work for and yet an entity they're not entirely sure they can trust right. is, like, a fun, always a fun complication in the plot. I also like how they make fun of it a little bit in this movie, which uh-huh. is kind of fun. He's like, the, the IMF, what, the bank? No, no, like, it's the impossible mission force. And he's like, what? Seriously? We so just leave just word. We leave word. Yeah. <laughs> you leave word. Yeah, you leave word. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay. It's so, uh, part two. Let's, let's wind down the conversation talking about part two. This concludes with the AI. Still being aboard the Russian sub, uh, and Gabriel's still on the run, but Ethan has the key, and Haley Atwell seems to be primed to be joining the IMF. Which that was, I think that was a fun scene yes. you're alluding to. You're like, oh, cool. Uh, what do you guys expect to see in uh, part two? I want more of this digital sarcophagus that Gabriel lays in, and he puts his little mm-hmm. helmet on and communes yes. with the AI. <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> yeah. Wild. Yeah. yeah, right? Makes watches, too, you know? Yeah. To give me more of Gabriel's, like, AI high priest behaviors. <laughs> like, what's, what's his deal? What What, what is the, the the messenger of the, the god AI do with his free time? He likes to kill stuff. That's all we really know about him, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was a nice touch. The branding in particular was great. Uh, Chelsea. What do you want to see more of in the next one? Oh, man. We're going to see all of the legacy stuff still coming back because mm-hmm. it's just the end. But I I can't decide if I want to see Ethan Hunt bite it or become Kittredge. Be the like, director. Become the director. Like, I don't know because he's been, he's gone rogue so many times. Mm-hmm. Like, would that even be possible? But maybe. Would he be a good director, though? I don't feel like he'd be a good director. I mean, but it feels fitting. I mean, career-wise, that's that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. He's, he's like, it's, it's like, uh, Top Gun Maverick. He's like, you could have been, you should have been like ranked so much higher than you are, but you just want to be the rogue guy. Yeah. Yeah. The Maverick. Maverick. Uh, Laurent, what about you? What do you want to see? I'm with Dalton. I want to see more, I want to see more explanation about the entity. (laughs) You know what I mean? I want to see more like an exploration of what that is, like what the origin of that is. Um, and again, Gabriel's. You know, like he seems to be the only one that knows, you know, like, and why is that? And, you know, like, I just I'm curious to see because um, it's just kind of ex- exists as this omniscient, omniscient thing in the in the goes to parties, though. We know that. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but just kind of like leaning more into what the threat is. Like, we know what it can do, but like, what are the mechanics of it? And maybe, you know, if you want to put some explanation, give me some exposition about that, you know, like just so, you know, to lay that out. So it's not just like kind of this looming idea that's not really mm-hmm. explored. 
I think it makes more sense for the second one. Yeah. I like the idea that I like the idea that we don't fully understand it in the first one and the second one they can kind of like actually lay down some rules mm. that our heroes can uh, confront. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want it to get exposition heavy, but I, it would be really nice to get a little more clarification on yeah. the Gabriel Ethan Hunt thing. Mm-hmm. Um I just feel like there's a lot it's implied that there's so much personal Stuff mm-hmm. between, or uh, as uh, our uh, good friend uh, Kendall Roy would say, there's there's too much peanut butter between the two of them, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I I want to find out the what's the peanut butter? What, how did that happen? I don't I don't want a whole dump, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't fully buy Ethan Hunt's emotional stakes around this guy yet. Uh, this guy, no. yeah, yeah. Well, and it's the AI clearly picked Gabriel because it somehow calculated that it perceived Ethan Hunt as its greatest threat, right? Is why, why is Gabriel is even mm-hmm. the person exactly? So uh, yeah, I want to see the the why. What 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 about Ethan Hunt? Other than that fact that he's just death-defying in every turn, that the AI picked him, mm-hmm. picked him as a threat, and picked and and then like what it, what did Gabriel do to him that was so terrible that uh, you know that they he would want to kill him? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if I'm alone in this. Do you guys ever like find yourself thinking about? what they would do, like what the contingency plan is if Tom dies in a stunt. Like surely him and Macquarie oh, yeah. have like a document that's to be opened on Tom's untimely demise. Yeah. So there's this thing called AI. <laughs> <laughs> they scanned his likeness, you see. <laughs> it'll all, it'll become really meta, really timely, really quick. No shit. <laughs> no, I, I do genuinely, I, so I was, I looked at, uh, watched an interview with Macquarie on this press tour and mm. they, uh, I think it was with Collider and uh, they asked him like, hey, do you guys talk about it? And he's like, well, I mean, we don't, we talk about we don't talk about it, but we all just assume that that is obviously yeah. a possible outcome. And then he kind of went to explain their philosophy on doing all this stuff is, you know, when you're skiing down a slope, you know, you're not supposed to hit the trees. Are you more like more or less likely to hit the trees if you're thinking about don't hit the trees? Or are you more or less likely to not hit the trees if you're thinking about if I've got to hit the slope the right at the right angle? Mm. You know, and I was like, that's a really interesting way to, to think about it. You yeah. got to keep your eyes on the goal, not on the threats. Mm. Anticipate the threats. Be ready for them, but to yeah. actually do the thing, you focus it on the key objective. And I was like, that is bold and interesting mm-hmm. and risky. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I don't know, call me a, a fanboy, but I am much more interested in the Chad's Stahelski school of let's do this as safe as we possibly fucking right. can. Right. So we can make it look as cool as we can mm-hmm. without yep. anybody getting hurt. And they just like put a lot more people in danger in those movies. Like oh, you don't yeah. have 30 stuntmen getting hit by cars in a yeah. Mission Impossible movie. Like a part of me understands why he blew up at those people who are like talking during the thing. He's like, you guys don't understand. We're literally, we can't have this. Ha-. I mean, I don't agree with actors, you know, uh, like Christian bailing people, yeah. you know, on set. But because um, I've been on the receiving end of that and it's not fun, Jake Gyllenhaal. But I think that um, in this case where you're dealing with real life stunts, real life things like the element of safety is so vital to the mm. production that anyone slacking off with a little bit of little distraction, anything, you know what I mean? Like he falls off a cliff because somebody, I don't know, their phone rang or something. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Like things like that can happen, you know, and then, yeah, we're dealing with real he, life stakes. So. They were making that during the pandemic when there was so much uncertainty about literally everything. The yeah. future of Hollywood being yeah. one of them. And I remember Tom Cruise is like, we we have to get this right. We got to do like. There's a reason we have these in place. It's because mm-hmm. we're trying to make entertainment, not knowing if we're going to have another shot at it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh, 
Again, not not, not necessarily polite not, or ethical, sure. but yeah. you you empathize with the frustration. The assertiveness is 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 necessary. I don't Especially know if you had as to say it that way, but there's as definitely... the actor and executive producer too. You know? Sure. So. This this calls back to a very recent text conversation I had with my friends about this actual very topic. Um, mm-hmm. and it's he's an alien in a meat suit. So the scientists they've already cloned him. Oh yeah. So yeah. he'll just pop back up. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That actually yeah. makes perfect just, sense. They'll just. In fact, we might even be on like the fifth Tom already, and we just didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs> this guy fast. Scientology. Uh, all right, guys. Well, I think we're out of time for today. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about all the things, including Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Can't wait for Part 2. Uh, definitely not going to hit that release date next summer. Absolutely not going to happen. So uh, we'll see it when we see it, I guess. Power to the writers. Power to the actors. Uh, solidarity. You're going to win. Keep it up. Dalton Stewart, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at most places at Dollywood Squares. Uh, it's Threads, Insta. I'm not on Twitter anymore. Uh, letterboxed. Uh, you got to drop the A in squares for the Letterboxed handle because of character limits. But yeah, Dollywood Squares in most places. And you can hear me every single week on the Good Trash Genre Cast. We are currently doing our second annual Summer of Lists. We took July off from watching movies and, and made some countdown lists. Fun. So we're doing top directors, top TV. TV shows, uh, favorite actors, and uh, 10 films to teach the 90s. So, Ooh, 10 films to teach in the 90s. That's a good one. Technically 30-ish films because we all, all did separate lists. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're doing over there right now. So uh, go check that out on your, your podcatcher of choice. Good Trash Genre Cast every single week. Awesome. Thanks, Dalton. Laurent Chapman, where can people follow you online? Uh, you can follow all of my film reviews on Letterboxd at black underscore Senna underscore man. Or you can follow me on social media for random musings on Facebook and uh, Instagram under my name. Chelsea Raderman? Yes, you can find me on all the things um, at Cinephile Chels. Uh, we've got Insta, we've got Threads, and we I'm still on Twitter because until it Threads gets it together. I'll, I get I'll it. still be there. There's a couple of fe- key features it's still missing, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you can find me on uh, yeah, Letterboxd for movie reviews, Twitter, just barely, just barely. Like, I'm basically recycling content from other platforms and putting it on Twitter. But yeah, on Twitter uh, and Instagram, C Masters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. You can follow all of our work here at thecinematropolis.com. Like I said, lots of good stuff coming your way. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis, Twitter at the Cinematrop, and Instagram and now Threads, the Cinematrop. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We can't wait to join you again in our next episode when we talk about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer.